happened. Sawyer. is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps hello everybody i am josh wiggler joined here by mike bloom and we are the two guys who are just gonna tie you up to a bamboo tree in a jungle of mystery and talk your ear off about one james sawyer ford it's confidence man time mike it's time for your walkabout I'm feeling quite confident about that, Josh. In fact, I'm left quite <laughs> breathless about the whole thing. I want to know more about this because this was the cliffhanger ending of our recap of The Moth. Mike said that Confidence Man, the first ever Sawyer-centric oh, wait, episode yeah, yeah, yeah. Should, of should, Lost. Should I do like a, a dramatic reenactment of uh, <laughs> a la Lost of like, well, the funny thing is, Confidence Man was my walkabout. yeah all right so talk us through that reveal because i think those are mighty big words to say about confidence man i mean something is my walkabout is shorthand for this is the episode that blew my mind Right. So for those of them might not remember, my personal watch experience with Lost was that I my first episode live was White Rabbit. Uh, by that point in time, even in the nation days of the Internet and the Lost community, I had known about the John Locke twist. So while it's a fantastic piece of television and a great reveal, we talked about that in our walkabout episode, I was not exactly thrown for a loop. So I sort of missed out on, you know, the big opportunities to do big rug pulls. We did have the, the time when Sun learned english uh and while that <laughs> yeah. was a fun time you know it didn't necessarily feel like this big mind-blowing thing like we found out about Locke. and look the fact of the matter is sawyer's origin story is not on that level because again it's a seismic change in how we view a character but that being said i certainly did not expect this backstory i don't think any of us expected this backstory in fact they lead us three-quarters of the way through this episode through thinking the backstory is compl- one different thing when they completely lead us down another path and pull off the long con on us and leave us, you know, a briefcase full of $160,000 poorer, mentally speaking. So what I really loved about it was not only did it just come out of nowhere and was super surprising, but it really helped substantiate this character. And I do feel like there are parallels. Like Locke, Sawyer's been portrayed as a bit two-dimensional. You know, he's someone who is in the doldrums of our MVP points right now because he's been such an ass. He's doing poorly. He's not doing great. Yeah, he's not very rich right now in MVP points. Uh, You know, he owes a lot to loan sharks. And I think that having this at least allows us to understand his character a bit more. And it really fleshes him out, much like finding out about Locke's journey and why he's so connected with the island, particularly really fleshes out his character as well. I was so excited upon hearing you know the big Sawyer story come at the end of this episode and it really does view him in a different light even if his actions on the island at the moment are not going to be 
the Lafleur levels that we're going to get several seasons down the line. I think it completely views him in a new light. So that's why I would say, you know, walkabout for me, if you're talking about parlance, it's something that is a complete surprise, but also betters your understanding and enjoyment of a character. And I feel like that's what this episode did for me back in the day. All right. And I don't disagree. I remember, you know, I'd already been uh, watching Lost for several weeks at this point and like was getting used to the rhythm of most of these episodes were going to subvert your expectations about who the person was uh, and that you were going to find out some new information about them that was going to help explain why they're behaving the way they're behaving on the island. Uh, and even with that expectation already uh, set, I, re- I remember experiencing Confidence Man and thinking the whole time, like, we're, okay, so we're watching the story of the time that he was such an awful con man that he got this poor kid's uh, parents to, to, you know, basically, you know, to, you know he, con- he convinced these people to die, essentially. Like, <laughs> he, he traumatized and scarred this poor little boy. And this is what we're about to see. And so I remember when we got to, uh, when I got to the, to the end of the episode, Episode and like the the first uh, or the final flashback segment, um, and Sawyer like you know ditches the the con. I was like, wait, what the hell is going on here? Mm. And then he starts explaining it to Kay. I was like, oh man, of course. Oh, that's good. That's good. And so this is like one of those that wasn't like really like mind blowing necessarily so much as it was like um, like a real like it made me really happy at how clever Lost was. Yeah, uh, and like it felt like a cool reveal, and it felt like okay, I think that I might be able to find some. Con- Common ground with Sawyer as a character now. Like I feel like it's it's going to help explain why he's been such a prick to so many different people. Uh, and maybe oh, well, he's, now he's about to get pricked very soon. This episode, yes, yes, he is uh, a couple of times. And uh, you know, this is uh, we're we're really laying the groundwork for um, you know this is the structure, and you can only build up from here. So uh, confidence, man, uh, soft spot in my heart as well. I don't think quite as seminal for me as it is for you, but an episode that I really really like uh and the sawyer episodes can be a little hit or miss they're not always mm-hmm. uh they're not always the best um i i i think uh it really i'm mostly thinking about the the season three episode that that he has which is uh the one where sawyer's in prison uh and i think it's interesting that i think lost actually struggles a little bit with the sawyer flashbacks we'll talk about that uh there's yeah. i i don't think that we need to spend all that energy right here off the top yeah um, i will say I, the the first two yeah definitely it's it's tough to you know it's a tough act to follow. I also will say, if I'm setting up the ultimate cliffhanger here in terms of Mike Bloom's Lost Opinions, that Season 3 Sawyer episode might have my favorite line in Lost history. Holy crap! Okay, all right. Soon to come in two... and a half years from now, yeah, no, we'll no. to season thirty, <laughs> we'll be there. Uh, we'll be there like uh, summer twenty twenty. I think is when we're okay, and that's there. somewhere that, around there. The seasons are changing, changing, so it's nice to remember. Like, okay, next time you know the summer sun's coming out is when we'll be firmly into the that first half of season three, which might not be the uh, the hottest that Lost ever got, but it'll certainly be hot outside. Yeah, I think that we're going to be pretty close to. Uh, we're going to be pretty close to it. Yeah, I think it's uh, within a year from now. We are going to be talking about that episode. In fact, Mike, according to my calendar, if we stay on track, we should be getting to season three, episode four, Every Man for Himself, the episode of Lost that Mike says contains his favorite line in Lost history <laughs> on the one year anniversary of Down the Hatch. Right oh about, my roughly. God. Talk roughly. about, you know, roughly. everything being planned out for a reason. 
All right, so we'll have to we'll have to remember all of this. We probably will not uh, <laughs> by the time we get there. That's the way these podcasts work. Anyway, so this is Down the Hatch. Of course, you know that. It's a spoiler-filled Lost Rewatch podcast. Not a safe place for you if you've never seen Lost before. We love your feedback. We love hearing it. We love, we love engaging in it. We've got a full section of the podcast devoted to it. The way you can get your feedback in is, of course, you can tweet at us. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. I am at Round Howard. You should also tweet at Post Show Recaps and give us the hashtag... P.S. Recaps, uh, but you can email us. That's the best way to do it. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. We record these podcasts roughly around Tuesday afternoons. So if you can get that feedback in by Monday evenings, that's really, really perfect. And of course, residual stuff we can get to uh, in the following podcast. We have some leftovers from The Moth to talk about this week. But Mike, let's talk about confidence, man. We go forth into the jungle as we're going to get into our summary of Confidence Man, armed with eight sounds from the episode. This episode originally aired November 10th, 2004, a solo writing credit to the man Damon Lindelof. Mm. It is directed by Tucker Gates, who directs a few episodes of Lost. Uh, in season one, he's also going to be the, the director of In Translation, Love a gin one. episode, a gin joint that Mike's going to be quite fond of. all of. the gin joints, Tucker Gates had to write for that one. Uh, he's also going to, Tucker Gates is also going to direct Born to Run, uh, uh, the 22nd episode of season one, probably lower tier, lower tier episode of season one. Unless you uh, like Little Plains. Yeah, if you like Little Plains, then uh, that's the one for you. Uh, season three, episode six, I Do, which I know is controversial for some. Then there was a long hiatus of Tucker Gates until the final season of Lost. Tucker Gates returned for three episodes. The Substitute, which has a whole lot of James Sawyer Ford in it. Uh, episode uh, nine of season six, Abby Turno, the Richard Alpert episode. Mm. Tucker Gates is also the director of Across the Sea, Ooh, which boy. I know, listen, it, it is uh, it, Across the Sea growing on me. Uh, the more I consider it, the more I think about it, the more I view it from the prism with which I view it through. Uh, but we have a long time to go before we get into the Across yeah, the many Sea. Many summers. Many summers to go. Uh, James Sawyer Ford, of course, is the centric character. We're not even going to know his name is James Ford for a little while yet. I don't remember exactly where we get that reveal. Um, I mean, I would say I'm assuming it's his second flashback. I'm assu- right? You know what? I I bet it's next week. I bet it's next oh. episode because Solitary, one of the subplots, is Hurley running around with the flight manifesto. Yes, the manifesto, right? The the reveal of who is Ethan Rom. Uh, I don't remember if he if he uh, if he finds out in that episode or not, but it certainly would be the moment where Hurley as a character would find out. I obviously haven't watched Solitary yet, so I will uh, we will we will either correct the record or be like, aha, there it is when we get to it. Um, as we've been doing, as we've been encountering these centric characters for the first time, we turn to the series Bible just to see what the series Bible had to say about them before they were really fleshed out. Um, this is what they wrote about Sawyer in the series Bible. You ready? Mm. Let's see what they've uh, capitalized this time. Uh, All right. A handsome, roguish con man who goes by a variety of assumed names, including the one he's currently using. Sawyer finds himself stranded on the island with nothing more than a suicide note in his pocket. Oh. What, What was once a death wish has now translated into reckless abandon. He is a man who doesn't care anymore, and thus the perfect... Anti-hero! Oh my god. He is an antisocial animal, forced to be social. A combination that is as dangerous to be in as it is fun to watch. 
Here on the island, Sawyer is able to put his charm and quick wits to work, forming a one-man black market with goods he filches from the plane. He will do his best to resist forming attachments, but the right woman might just reveal a softer side. Then again, dot, 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 probably not. Is this like your Morgan Freeman does the series Bible? <laughs> does that sound like Morgan Freeman? A little bit. Sounds like, you know, how much... I mean, going back to uh, that season three episode, Sawyer back in prison, I feel like you're narrating his escape. Oh, my God. <laughs> James Ford swam through five miles of shit to... Or what is it, like, ten football fields of shit to yeah, get out like of that. Project. San Juantaneo. Uh, yeah, no, I did not mean to do a Morgan Freeman, but I am, I am happy to, uh, to, to make you have that image uh, appear in your mind. What, do you, what are some of your other <laughs> takeaways from the series Bible entry of James Sawyer Ford? The suicide note in his pocket. Yeah. It's more like, more like a murder note. Yeah, it's the exact opposite. It's intending to take someone the else's homicide life note rather than his own. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the most interesting one because I think that... Uh, reckless abandon is such an interesting term for this person to use because I feel like that's the way that, I mean, Kate's going to refer to it last episode and the way that we're supposed to review Sawyer in those first seven episodes is like, what is this guy doing? He's an agent of chaos. He's in the wild. He's running his own black market, as the Mad Libs of the series Bible say. But we're going to find out that he does have a purpose. And it is interesting that the initial draft of Sawyer was still sort of in that Sawyer 1.0 mentality of, he doesn't really care. He was going to kill himself anyway. And so he's just sort of now a free agent willing to bargain with whoever's going to come his way with a kiss or a dollar bill. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think it, it seems to me like this is kind of like leftover residual. We don't fully know who Sawyer is yet. Yeah. Um, you know, just just from talking through some of like the the early behind the scenes stuff that we got into when we were t- discussing the pilot um, and heading into the show um, that there were a lot of different ideas for like who could play Sawyer, like Jorge Garcia reading sides for, for Sawyer, the, the legendary fable of Forrest Whitaker as James Sawyer Ford. Um, it's pretty clear that there are a lot of different ideas for who this guy should be. Uh, and then Josh Holloway comes along and really owns the role. Uh, and I think once they have him in place, you got to imagine that that changes some of the ideas. Um, so I think that some of the ideas that are that are laid out here uh, of of him being like a man who doesn't care anymore, and thus is the perfect antihero. Is that like fully accurate? I think it's like close. I think it's close enough. But to call him like an antisocial animal, I mean, yeah. his, whole, his whole job is uh, is like playing a great social game until he doesn't have to, right? Like he endears himself to you so that you trust him with all of your monies, and then he runs away. I feel like his social game is very good. He's like a Brian Heideck, who I guess is an antisocial animal. Yeah, uh, and Sawyer wouldn't be the one to flip off the camera while he's giving a confessional as well. Yeah, I would be very uh, concerned with him with a with a bow in his hand and which uh, antisocial animals or social animals even maybe. A polar bear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, wow, he really is the Brian Heideck yeah, of Lost. We found, we found Mr. Freeze. Yeah, you know what? Thinking about it, I guess the series Bible is fairly accurate. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming that, that they were, well, I was thinking, well, Survivor Thailand predates this by a year. So, yeah, maybe the writers were so, I mean, they said that Lost was sort of a take on Survivor meets Castaway. So, maybe they were so inspired by the actions of Survivor Thailand. I don't know how anybody is particularly inspired by the actions of Survivor Thailand. But you know what? You go, series Bible. 
Go for it, Series Bible. Okay, I'm convinced. It worked. It worked, uh, to quote Juliet Burke. All right, let's get into the summary. We'll bring in some sounds as we go along the way. And uh, Mike, you talked about how Confidence Man is an episode that begins fleshing out James Sawyer Ford. And the fleshing out begins right away Mm. as Kate Austin is walking along the beach. She's got a huge thing of bananas. Yeah, where did that come from? Did she steal steal it from the hero's camp? I was just going to make a banana etiquette joke. (laughs) (laughs) We are in sync. Uh, Yeah, so hopefully, you know, everybody's getting their fair share of bananas. Uh, But she's got this huge, huge sack of bananas uh, over her shoulder. She's walking up the shore and she comes across a pile of clothes. There's the book, Watership Down, the book that Josh Wiggler should be reading, but is not because fall TV is getting in the way. To be uh, fair, we, so should Boone. So yes, you're in the yeah, same boat there. Yeah, about the same as Boone. We're about as far into the book uh, as each other. You hear from off screen, hell of a book. And she turns around and it's Sawyer who is emerging from the ocean. And as he comes closer, we see that he is clearly uh, super nakes. He's not a never nude. This is a this is a very nude James Sawyer Ford, uh, who's uh, he's show. We see like the the very top edge of buttocks, just mm. like uh, some some light buttocksing, uh, and we don't see the reverse angle because this is ABC. Uh, I don't know. This, I feel like twenty nineteen <laughs> ABC would still show the butt, though. I feel like our standards and practices have gotten a little more lax than intervening fifteen years. I think we would have gotten a little more butt than we get. And the here. same network that brought us Dennis Sipowitz's ass can't show us Josh Holloway's. I don't know. I think maybe they figure like uh, the the more that we can leave to the imagination, uh, the more interested in Sawyer will be. Uh, but he's hell walking. of an ass. He's walking forward, butt naked, quite literally, and he has the great line as he reaches Kate about the book. He says, it's about bunnies. Uh, and that is about as much as I can currently tell you about Watership Down. I have, I have ascertained so far that it's about uh, bunnies uh, who are okay. trying to escape a place. Uh, and that's about as far as I've gotten. Listen, that's you. the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So you've mm-hmm. taken that step, and you just sort of paused on that one step for some time. That's it. That's all I've got. Um, but she's like, okay, so this is weird that you're just like talking to me naked. You got to be a little cold right now. And I wonder if that's a dig. Like, mm. uh, she's like, she's like, <laughs> I was in the ocean. Up. There's shrinkage. Yeah. <laughs> it's shrinkage. Come on. Uh, he doesn't seem embarrassed. He seems pretty happy with, uh, how everything's going. She says it must be cold without your trunks. Uh, and he's feeling pretty happy about his trunk. <laughs> oh, God, it is weird. Is I, I wonder if- no, no. I mean, listen, you're in the right audience here. Uh, I wonder if uh, uh, the Trunks line was like an Evangeline Lilly, because I, I feel like Trunks is one of those like pop versus soda, like Canadianism, uh, certain types of vocabulary. Because, you, you know, I feel like us East Coasters usually say something like bathing suit. I don't often yeah. hear the term Trunks unless it's referring to like a 1920s sailor outfit. Uh, so maybe that's sort of Evangeline Lilly showing her true Canadian blood, much like she masqueraded as a Canadian during Tabula Rasa. Well, I guess, I don't know. I mean, for me, I'm a skinny dipper, much like Sawyer, so I just really don't refer to them as anything. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if it's trunks or not. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's on the, on the beach and away from yes. me. It's a lie. In fact, you can see uh, video evidence of me wearing trunks 
uh, mm. as I go spearfishing alongside Mike Bloom in the Fijian Ocean in a video that was cut together by Awakened Films and Jason Schuler uh, from our trip out to Survivor earlier this year, which we will link to in the show notes if you want to see if Mike and I had better luck going fishing than Charlie and Hurley uh, some episodes ago. Yes, uh, and we had, uh, you know, we were able to present some fish. We had no gin, though we did have a Joaquin, but it was still an enjoyable time. And spoiler alert, Josh ends up being his own gin, in a manner of speaking. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, as in, like, I'm giving people sea urchin and nobody wants it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's actually not that far away from it. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Sawyer says to, to Kate, yeah, it's cold. I'd be a lot warmer if you came a little closer. And Kate is not interested in getting any closer than she currently is. She says, you sure know how to make a girl feel special, Sawyer. Yeah, I mean, I sort of feel like revisiting this week after week. I think the drum of the Sawyer-Kate thing, the, the, the skin of the drum is beginning to, to wear a bit thin. Uh, much like the skin that Sawyer is, Sawyer is showing right now. Where at least we get a little bit more coloring in this relationship. We do get them kissing in this episode, and it appears that uh, it might be a bit more reciprocated than we initially think, but... I don't know. I'll admit for this episode, the first third, I would say I was not terribly keen on just because it felt like we were repeating the same beats. And that was the case here where it was Sawyer approaches Kate and hits on her. Kate, you know, reproaches him with a snooty remark. And then we move forward, rinse and repeat. Yeah, but then they make out and it's really hot. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's kind of hot. Rodney Sesto is like, okay, now I know this is my environment now. Maybe he feels like when he gets off the island, what he's found here is like the perfect porn star to produce a film with. Is like mm-hmm. Sawyer's got to go into porn. I've got to direct him. Uh, that's going to be my big break. And, and listen, yeah, home. he's a master of changing names, and I feel like that's all you need besides yeah. uh, being well endowed. He's got an eye for talent, which is better than uh, Billy Wallace, who only has just an eye. One eye. One eye. <laughs> um, all right, so we get to our first flashback of the episode, and it's Sawyer. Uh, we see how he makes a girl feel special. He's sleeping with a woman. He's with Jessica, uh, and he tells her, I love you. Uh, look at you. What do you want right now? And she says, how could I want anything else? And they're making all sorts of kissy face and rolling around. And they've got the bedhead going on. And it's going to be a great long day in bed together. Just one problem. And let's bring in sound number one. Oh, uh oh, baby. Uh oh, what? I thought you had a meeting. Yeah, but it's not till 3.30. Baby, it's 3.28. Damn it. Damn it. Baby, why don't you just, uh... No, just go. You go, okay? I'll, I'll stay here. Order room service, get fat. Why don't you order a chocolate sundae? When I get back, I'll use you as a dish. <laughs> you weren't exactly supposed to see that. Or was she, Josh? <laughs> Maybe this is all part of the plan. The long, con, the medium-sized con. Uh, after uh, after a long night, actually, it might be a long con if he's waking up in the morning, considering how things usually are. Yeah, I mean, that's the big question, right? Is because we're going to find out later on that this is part of the con to get, you know, her and her husband, who I like to call clean-shaven Dominic Abate, who we'll meet very much <laughs> later on, uh, uh-huh. to buy into this plan. 
So I guess the question is, like, I personally believe that he wanted the suitcase to fall open and show the money so that she could get her in on the scheme. The question is, did it extend as far back as him purposely, you know, sleeping in late to try to scramble out of bed and, you know, tussle with the briefcase? Is it, is it that deep-seated, Josh? Well, like, how, how do they get it to the situation where uh, he makes her see that the time is 328 when he's supposed to have this meeting at 330 like how does he rig that situation that's Mm -hmm. what i want to know like how does he manipulate time to the degree that he uh that that he does like that he gets it right to that point because that's fairly masterful uh like i feel like sawyer like we should we should be respecting his game a little bit more considering the fact that he is able to get her to notice like he's able to like roll her in bed to the perfect exact angle to look at the clock at the perfect exact right time like he is multitasking to a fairly impressive degree oh i wonder if maybe it was a thing where they were doing some stuff in bed before and he like maybe he does a little bit of a some some times tables in his head it's like okay if we calculate how much funky business we do coupled with the fact that okay i'm gonna 330 is the time i'm gonna shoot for and so he warns her about it right beforehand so that it ends up syncing up perfectly i don't know this is a man who's very seasoned in his craft at this point because otherwise you know if he had plenty of time would he just get up pick up the briefcase and he'd accidentally drop it it seems like the the harried aspect of him having to jump out of bed and get changed as quick as possible would be a more legitimate reason as to why this briefcase falls open and she sees all the money in it Two additional things. I've always loved uh, the line read of our room service, get fat. I just always <laughs> like the way she says fat, uh, which is like really my classic hotel room move as well. Uh, I just love to order the room service. That's note number one. Note number two is like, now what time are you talking about Jessica ordering the chocolate sundae so that you can use her as a dish? Like, are you actively trying to get it to like fully liquefied melted temperature Mm. so that you can pour it on Jessica and eat the ice cream off of her? Because by the time that it's reached that state, I imagine the ice cream is kind of warm and it's the whole thing is going to be like a really gross enterprise for everybody involved. (laughs) Like, uh, like you think it seems like it's a sexy thing to do, but I think it would actually like it would probably give you like a little bit of a tummy ache. Uh, mm. There's going to be like a lot of like sticky cleanup involved for a, a lot of reasons. Well, that uh, means they get into the shower and move on to round two. I guess. I get. Well, I guess at that point, I mean, how many rounds is it at this point? Did the rounds? I don't know. Reset it's this, this guy's like Ali back. at this point with all the rounds that he's doing <laughs> in this hotel room. Yeah. So, I mean, on that note, uh, I think that the. The advent of ice cream in Sawyer's sexual exploits is not a very well-thought-out idea. You know, I guess it's on her for suggesting that dish. But also, ice cream is a colder temperature. Uh, I feel like when it comes to the erotic food tactics, usually it's, you know, strawberries and it's chocolate. It's not something that's wow, usually so stored much in insight. a freezing so temperature. Much insight here. Uh, yeah. You know, it'd be like, oh, can't wait to pour these uh, enchiladas on you and eat you <laughs> like a dish. You know, like, don't go at any extreme temperature. Okay, enchilada lovemaking to the frozen donkey <laughs> wheel. Uh, <laughs> for the next iteration of the frozen donkey wheel. May we never go under no. two hours. <laughs> so that we can never, so we can never be at risk. So we'll never eat enchiladas <laughs> off each other. <laughs> okay, uh, so that's the flashback. And we come back to, to reality. And Sawyer is now clothed 
got the blue shirt, the blue jeans. Uh, it's really hard to find a bad Sawyer look. Like, even with the steamrolled glasses, he's going to look great later on. I think we mm-hmm. talked about that with the flannel shirt last time. And here he is, just like a uh, full blue man group, and he's still looking fantastic. And full bloom as well in that previous scene. Yes, indeed. And also, full boon is what's about to happen here as Sawyer is going through the jungle. He hears some noises. He bursts through the jungle, and he finds that somebody is going through his belongings. It is Boone, and Sawyer says, What are you doing in my stuff, son? My stuff! I feel like uh, Sawyer could be the one to be, you know, psyched about getting a Home Depot style of lumber to build his own little dream outhouse. Or at least uh, so he could, like, uh, he could sell it. Yeah, that's actually very true. He could be the one to sell lumber to the Oolong tribe for a much higher price. Yeah, that anti-hero could put all of that in uh, that equipment on the black market. So that would all be very, very helpful for him. Uh, we cut from there. We go to the caves. Jack is treating Saeed, who, as we know, has been knocked on the head as he was in the search for the Frenchwoman's signal. He got hit from behind. He does not know who did it. We know who did it. It still makes very little sense, uh, but Said is uh, not happy about it, and he's like already got like sort of like the twinkle of vengeance in his eye. Uh, he says, "I will do what needs to be done in order to find the man responsible." Yeah, and this is a uh, you know this is I guess Jack's second big island ER day. Obviously, after the plane crash, obviously it's not as dire circumstances, but. I mean, he's going to have another patient very quickly because while he's treating Saeed and making chit-chat, in comes Shannon with Boone. Look like he got the crap beaten out of him. That's going to be a recurring theme. This is definitively the most violent episode of Lost so far. Yeah, and also uh, not the last time that Boone is going to be rolling up to the caves battered beyond belief. Mm. Uh, And in fact, uh, I think if he had the choice between what he eventually gets up against... Uh, or rolling up to the caves in this condition every single day for the rest of his life, he'd be pretty happy to take the deal. Yeah. Um, That's true. Like, he, what's your, well, how do you feel, Boone? Oh, it's like I got hit by 100 Sawyers. Yeah. I feel like you would rather, yeah, do you want to fight uh, one Sawyer-sized duck or 100 duck-sized Sawyers? And, Mike, are those duck-sized Sawyers actually Sawyer, or are they the smoke monster? Mm. Uh, that is That is the ongoing question. Uh, here on on down. I think I think duck sized swords would be real cute. They're like little uh, little pip squeaks. Oh yeah, making all sorts of nicknames. Uh, it would be very. It would get very aggravating. Very hey, quickly. tall tree, get out, <laughs> get out of the shadows. Yeah, in that case, definitely a little cold, Sawyer. Um, all right, so this and and Boone rolls up, and that's the that's the sound clip that we heard at the top of this episode, and you the the scene cuts out with what happened to you, and Boone goes Sawyer, and it's a real dun dun dun. And then we go to the beach. <laughs> then we go to the beach. So at the beach, Claire is just hanging out. She's scribbling away in her notebook. She's got her amazing hat. So I'm glad to see the hat is still in yes. rotation at this point. Uh, Charlie's here. He's bringing morning delivery. Uh, she called for an Uber. Uh, Uber Eats. And here he is with the water. Yeah, he'll bring uh, the Eats later. The Eats, he's, yeah, the Eats have not been uh, ordered yet because Claire does not know that there are Eats to be ordered. Uh, and Charlie does not yet realize that there actually are not eats to be delivered, so he should be careful what he is offering. But Charlie shows up with the water, very sober. Uh, he seems mm. like pretty, pretty with it at this point, pretty fresh-eyed and bushy-tailed. Uh, so the the uh, the treatments that Jack 
uh, now that he's consulting with a doctor, seems like that's really taking hold for Charlie. Yeah, it's very, it's really interesting. I mean, it's literally night and day because we see him in the darkness of the caves, and now he's in the light of the beach. Maybe some sunlight, as Locke tried to get him to do. Maybe some fresh air really did do him some good. Or maybe a new purpose as well, because it's going to become Charlie's onus this entire episode to get Clara away from the cave, the beach, into the caves, which I think is totally the right choice. You know, Claire's going to explain here that she wants to be one of the first people on site in case somebody comes to rescue them. We talked about this a couple episodes ago when the first schism developed. It's just, I'm not on board with this logic because it's not like the boat's going to come on board and they're going to be like, okay, we're here to rescue you, but we can only take three people and it has to be the first three people I see right now and we're never coming back. You know, I, I feel like they can hold up a bit and wait for the pregnant lady who's in the much safer location and not being bitten by sand fleas to make her way down to the beach and get rescued. I guess the only concern is the cave-ins and stuff, and it would be very bad if <laughs> Listen, if, ja- if Jack has no problem with it, then Claire shouldn't, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, maybe the thing could be like, all right, Claire, come to the caves, but do not move a muscle. Stay absolutely still. No, she, she, has, she has the rock god on her side. I think she's okay. Oh, good point. Yeah, she's made an alliance with the bloody rock god. Uh, but the bloody rock god is saying, uh, you should come to the you should come to the caves. This isn't where you should be. Uh, everything is great at the caves. And meanwhile, at the caves, everything is not great. There are some health issues occurring at the caves. Uh, first, it's the fact that Boone has gotten his butt handed to him by Sawyer. I'm a little sad that we never get to see that. I think it's probably better filmmaking and better storytelling to not let us see it. But I don't know that I would have minded watching Sawyer kick the crap out of Boone. I think that that may have uh, scored the man an MVP point. <laughs> it would have been well, pretty satisfying. Well, I think it's also a matter of, like, there's going to be some talk, I think, in, in the other section about, you know, what did Boone do that caused Sawyer to beat him up? So I guess I would have loved to see, you know, did Boone say, hey, I think you have my sister's medicine? Or did Sora just start kicking the crap out of him as soon as he found him in his stuff? And maybe that sort of determines the way that we view Sawyer as well and how uh, territorial he is over his goods. Some bad communication going on in this episode. Uh, Lots of really, really bad instances of miscommunication all throughout. Boone's going to tell Jack the reason why he was going after Sawyer. Says that Shannon's got asthma. She sneaks hits of her inhaler when no one is looking. I guess breathing's not cool. Maybe the best Boone line? Pretty high up there. If you were to do a list of like the top 23 lines from Boone Carlisle, I guess breathing's not cool has to be in the top five. Yeah, I mean, I think it's now superseded. uh, I run a business. Uh, No, I run a business is definitely number one. (laughs) This will be a nice number two. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it's something he says before he dies. That's that's better. Uh, Boone says that he's got enough. Uh, he's he packed her asthma uh, medication. He has enough refills for her inhaler to last a couple of months out here. A couple of months, like that's pretty good. Like that's basically the duration that many of these people, or at least the Oceanic Six, are on the island for in the alternate universe where Shannon makes it through. Uh, And frankly, all they had to do is like make it 40 some odd days before they got into the hatch. You got to imagine they've got uh, asthma medicine in the hatch. They've got everything there. If not there, then at the at the staff, the doctor station. I don't know. The the Uh, staff is a bit uh, derelict by the time we see it. So maybe all the asthma inhalers have been broken by then as well. Yeah, because the others uh, have chronic cases of asthma all throughout. That's one thing. 
Well, uh, listen, when you have a giant thing of smoke living on your island, you're bringing in a <laughs> yeah. lot of bad stuff. <laughs> a lot of surprise mystical pollution. Uh, but Boone says, I saw Sawyer reading Watership Down, which is the book that I'm trying to read, but I can't get any further than the first five <laughs> chapters because of time and space. Uh, he says, Sawyer's reading my book. That's my book. If he's got my book, he's got my luggage. And if he's got my luggage, he has the inhalers. And he's not giving me the inhalers. And if Shannon has an attack... It's going to be bad. Yeah. But Sawyer's going to say, sucks to your asthmar to Shannon. Yeah. Sucks to your asthmar, indeed. He's got the conch, if not the luggage. Uh, <laughs> but Jack is now going to take this on himself to really investigate what's going on. Because already at this point, Jack has it out for Sawyer. And I think it's uh, it's something we've mentioned before, but it's just worth reiterating Jack, like, he, he, he really is tabula rasa with people until he's not. Like, once, like you, once you dirty up the slate for him, it's very hard to undo the dirtying. Uh, and Sawyer did that. You know, he, he started to broach the line when he was being racist and, uh, towards Saeed and mean towards mm. Hurley in that first fight in the first episode. But he, he crosses the Rubicon when he shoots the marshal. Uh, yeah. And Jack is not going to be able to forgive Sawyer for a very long time, uh, if really ever. I think it will always be tense between the two of them they have some moments where they can let their guard down um but jack is like hearing that if sawyer is like being this much of a dip then like he's really got to get into it uh so he is going to go back to the beach he is going to uh pop into sawyer's new beachside bungalow aka the former infirmary and the following scene that you will now hear occurs Where is it? Hey, Doc. Long time no see. Where is it? Where's what? The girl's asthma this. Shannon, her inhalers. Oh, that. You attacked a kid for trying to help his sick sister. No, I whooped a thief because he was going through my stuff. Yours. Which I had What makes to it move yours? What, you think you can just take something out of a suitcase and that makes it yours? Look, I don't know what kind of commie share fest you're running over in Cave Town. But down here, possession's nine-tenths. And a man's got a right to protect his property. Get up. Why, you want to see who's taller? Get up! You sure you want to make this your problem, Doc? Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Gosh, I love that line. You want to see who's taller? Okay, well, Josh, let's turn this into a little bit of a mini-game here. Can you guess between Matthew Fox and Josh Holloway who is taller? Because I have the answer. Cool. Uh, my guess would be Josh Holloway is taller. They are both. Even saying it, I feel like I'm wrong. They are both the same height. Whoa! They are both six foot two. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, so there's back, they're, they're back both to back. Tall uh, bean poles, both of them. And yeah, I guess that it makes sense. You know, Kate really is having a tough time choosing between the two, and then they're even the same height. Yeah. I mean, like when you're really drawing up the pro con list, that just cancels it out. Uh, you know, you can't really, the height isn't a deciding factor. I guess that's nice to take out of the equation. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, I, I, what I like about this is it's a little comparable to that aforementioned Tabula Rasa conversation of the, you know, I'm in the wild of, I think Sawyer's now regarding the cave still as this quote unquote civilization that Jack's running like some sort of commie sheriff town. Uh, and well, as he's still living in this utopian ideal of, Hey, you know what? You get you keep whatever you get your hands on. And so he still has his own way of working. So this is a conflict that is still going to reverberate throughout, you know, at least the first season, if not the first half of the series before, like you said, they sort of 
get on the same page and realize, okay, we're we're working towards a common cause here. We're all part of the group as antisocial as Sawyer may be sometimes. We're all in the commie share fest at the proverbial cave town. Um, but Kate's going to show up, and by virtue of Kate showing up, whatever height competition was about to occur <laughs> between Jack and Sawyer, and definitely not a fist fight, uh, is broken up. And we go, and we've got a flashback, and the flashback continues the scene between Sawyer and Jessica, and he explains... What he needs the money for. That's what the money's for. He tells her that he's got $140,000. There's an oil mining operation in the Gulf of Mexico. And if you got $300,000, it buys you one share. But as soon as you invest, there's this government-sponsored fund that triples your money in two weeks. It triples it. And he's found an investor in Toronto who wants in 50-50. And this is Sawyer's chance to get a million dollars. It sounds too good to be true, Mike. Yeah, though he could have gotten a million dollars by just hopping into his doppelganger and living out in Survivor Thailand for 39 days. That could have worked as well. Uh, that, that would have been a very different kind of hustle, but I feel like Sawyer could have done a pretty good job. Um, but Jessica's going to say, well, who needs your Canadian pal? Uh, because I could split the profit with you. I've got a husband who's going to put forth the money. Uh, and this is the point in the podcast where I reveal that Jessica is played by an actress named Kristen Richardson, Mm -hmm. who is married in real life to Kevin Richardson from the Backstreet Boys. What? Uh, So (laughs) this this is uh, where Sawyer is sleeping with the Backstreet Boys' wife. Oh, my God. Uh, Listen, Sawyer, you might be outnumbered. Like, she's going to get A.J. McLean. She's going to get Nick Carter on your ass, and you're going to find yourself overwhelmed five to one. She's going to get Brian... Right? Brian is going to show yeah, Brian, up. Yeah, Brian, Brian, Brian Luttrell. Right? Though I feel like Brian's not one to get his hands dirty. Like, I feel like AJ is a rough and tumble. I feel like Howie's, like, catching butterflies or something. Like, he doesn't really have anything to do with all Howie this. Howie doesn't even, yeah, Howie doesn't even know what's going on. He has. He doesn't know what the, the oil mining operation's all about. He's just happy to be there. Uh, but yeah, I think that uh, Sawyer in a dance-off uh, against the Backstreet Boys, that would have been, that's a, a sadly abandoned flashback. Uh, that we just never got to see. Yeah, and I think that um, Sawyer, I mean, if he was in a boy band, he could very much have been that bad boy type that all, everyone would have fawned for. Yeah, but he's like the bad boy, but he's got like uh, some of the Nick Carter aesthetic. That's like a dangerous combo. Mm, yeah, I, exactly. I feel like uh, like a, a boy band Josh Holloway would have been uh, unstoppable. He would have been like the king of the boy bands. Well, I think, though, they would have made him shave his sexy stubble, right? Because I feel like they want to really perpetuate this idea of like, hey, they're boys, so they're, you know, they're teenagers. They're not going to have this facial hair and look like they're over 21. You know, uh, it's reminding me. And oftentimes, like, we'll say a thing, and then we get off the podcast, and then we're like, oh, God, there was that obvious thing, like the fact that Scud Farkas uh, is actually Jack's yeah. best friend later on in season Which one. Which is an insane, like... The bully. We unintentionally said the smartest thing that we're ever going to say on a podcast, Josh, by making um, that connection. And so now I'm just remembering, it's not that Josh Holloway is in a boy band, but one of his immediate post-Lost projects was a film called battle of the year that he was the star in that was like a a dance battle uh competition across america that he was like the coach eric taylor of the team oh my Uh, god really yeah and uh chris brown was in it Mm. uh katie lots was in it aka uh the the white canary of the cw arrowverse was in it 
Do you think he I never saw it? Do you but think he, I, he got, I was tempted to? Do you think he got some training from Jessica's husband off screen? <laughs> I, think, I think it's possible. Uh, so I think I think that the crossover of Sawyer and the Backstreet Boys was just a few more steps removed, and I think that we could have made something happen here. Oh, I'm all I'm all for popping Josh Holloway. Yeah, I think it'd be good. All right, so back on the beach, Jack is like he's hot. He's walking off. He's got to cool down. He wants to kill Sawyer. Kate's like, well, is that a really such a great idea? He goes, no, but it'll make me feel better. Uh, she's like, all right, so then why don't you just beat him up for the medicine? And he says, because we're not savages, Kate. We're not savages, Kate. Not yet. <laughs> now now uh, you're sounding like Duck Size Sawyer again. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Uh, and she says, let me talk to Sawyer. I think that I can figure this out. Uh, and she's like, why would that work? And she says, well, we've got a connection. He says we have a connection. And Jack is like very upset to hear that. He goes, do you? And she says, no, of course not. But I, he thinks it, and so let me go and check it out. Um, so Kate's going to go to Sawyer, and Sawyer is shirtless, chopping wood. Yeah, that's apparently yeah. what you do if you're uh, pining for Kate between him and Saeed. You just go and chop some wood because she knows where to find you. That's the move. So he, he goes off. He's chopping wood. She wants to know about the inhalers. Uh, she brings it up that everybody thinks that he's got the inhalers. And it's it's fun to watch this episode knowing that clearly he does not have the inhalers. Because mm-hmm. uh, like, he plays it in a way of like, there's like kind of like a very quick like eyebrow raise of like, oh, okay. So everybody thinks that this thing that I didn't do has happened. Uh, gives me an angle to play. Um, and she says, what do you want for them? Uh, and he says, I've got so many different answers to that question. <laughs> but unfortunately, we have no enchiladas here. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, maybe a dance-off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you got a says, cardboard box we can put down here in the jungle. He says, kiss all to do it. Uh, and she doesn't like that answer. Uh, uh, under- said, understandably so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. If, uh, Sawyer is, uh, I don't know if 2019 Sawyer would have get busted up pretty early of like, hey, uh, I know Sawyer is a fun guy and all, but back in the day, he tried to get me to kiss him in exchange for giving inhalers that he didn't have. Gotta say, uh, I do expect that the behavior of Sawyer on the island in this episode is, even though it's his first flashback episode, I think he's probably going to lose a point here uh, yeah. in this episode because a lot of it's pretty disgusting. <laughs> yeah, and look, you know? and, we, and we understand why it's disgusting. It's so odd because, like, the actions of his off-island self almost balance out the actions of his on-island self, which is the point that Lindelof was going for. But when it comes to attributing points based on good and evil actions, it's very tough to do. No, he's a complex guy, sweetheart, right? Like, that's the whole thing. And I, I think that this episode really does paint that complex portrait where there are points in the episode where you hate this guy, where you really don't like him. And I think that that's fairly brave of Lost at this point, that they're building an entire episode around somebody who's unlikable for so much of it. Um, but by the end of it, like, you start to get some clarity about why he is the way he is. Does that forgive, like, the why, the, the you know, the reasons why he's acting the way he's acting? No, of course not. But does it explain it? Yeah. And I think that it it starts to provide that base layer for... For, for where we're going to go with Sawyer moving forward. But for now, Kate's like, okay, cool, gross. You try too hard, man. That's disgusting. Nobody's this disgusting. Uh, it's like, Kate, honestly, like, considering, like, how many other people are out there that are so much worse, like, Sawyer, really not so bad. But in this moment, he's pretty gross. Uh, she says, listen, I've seen you with the piece of paper. I've seen how you look at the thing. <laughs> Why do uh, all these guys I like keep holding on to pieces of paper? And she's she's gonna she's gonna say that, and the mood is going to change 
immediately. In fact, describing it doesn't do it justice. Let's let's roll sound clip number three uh, as Sawyer is going to... We're going to get our first reading of the Sawyer letter here. Seeing you, you know. Seeing me what? With that piece of paper. One you keep in your pocket. Seeing the expression on your face when you read it. How carefully you fold it up. It means something to you. So you can play games all you want. But I know there's a human being in there somewhere. Give me the medication. I think you understand me. Yeah. I think I have... Shut up! Want to know what kind of human being I am? Read it. Read it. Out loud. Dear Mr. Sawyer, you don't know who I am, but I know who you are, and I know what you've done. You had sex with my mother, and then you stole my dad's money all away. So he got angry, and he killed my mother. And then he killed himself, too. Don't stop now. Get to the good part. All I know is your name. One of these days I'm going to find you and I'm going to give you this letter so you'll remember what you've done to me. You killed my parents, Mr. Sawyer. alternate timeline where he says now about that and she just like stuffs an enchilada in his mouth and just like goes to town yeah it's like yes i read the death letter and i'm in yeah exactly oh you have a purpose now oh man (laughs) that really gets me gets my bones are rattling because we have just some 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 nice green salsa verde tongue kissing is what comes next so in terms of this letter you know again if we're going to the psychology of sawyer he obviously doesn't reveal who truly wrote the letter when Kate read it, he is all too willing to let her believe that he is the Sawyer referred to in this letter. Why do you think that is? Because he doesn't want to be loved. We've talked about this. We talked about it at the Moth. Like this is a guy who's his his whole his whole life. He's used to just being the the kicked dog. I think he even talks about that. Yeah, he talks about that in the scene with Jack in Exodus. Uh, like you kick a dog oh, right, long yeah, enough, yeah. eventually you know you're, it's going to think it did something wrong. That's Sawyer. Uh, you know, Sawyer is more comfortable uh, being hated by people than uh, having anybody consider him as somebody to like, somebody to care about. Um, you know, it's funny that I think for Sawyer's arc, uh, it's it's there's there's some degree of like the taming of the shrew, and he's the shrew, and he's like the person who needs to be like tamed into being, uh, you know, of this guy, this creature from the wild, this antisocial animal, if you will, has to become socialized and has to learn how to let people like him, even love him. Um, so I think telling Kate in this moment, 
uh, because she's she's triggered him, right? Like she triggered him by even bringing up the letter. Um, and there's probably been other instances where he has let other people uh, think that he's the Sawyer of the letter. Um, and also, like, if he tells her, like, so the thing is, is that I'm the kid who wrote the letter uh, and I wrote it to this guy named Sawyer and that's why I have his name. It's very complicated. Like, I feel like it, it would just it would be a lot to explain in this moment. Yeah, um, uh, his brevity is the soul of wit here. And yeah, I mean, I guess he might be the Catherine from Taming of the Shrew talking to another Catherine in Kate. I mean, yeah, the, the self-flagellation that Sawyer exhibits is so interesting in that, you know, he lives a life of pain, but maybe unlike somebody like Locke, who is consistently trying to work out of that pain, you know, I guess it's it's like uh, both these guys have their feet caught in bear traps. And whereas Locke is trying to wrench his foot out of it and just causing more pain in the process, Sawyer is just sitting there and purposely taking the pain in. He feels like this is he's already in hell and this is his punishment for what he does, you know, and he can't help but go through with it. And he knows exactly the full circle that he took. He's going to talk about it in the letter reveal. But like you said, he feels like he deserves to be punished. So it's, so it's not even a matter of like a learning process as well for him. And he'll start to learn, you know, how he does have better qualities. But right now, I know we said that he's not exactly suicidal, but he is not exactly the, not exactly having the most uplifting thoughts about himself. You know, he's saying he's somebody who says, I feel like I should be hated because of all the bad stuff I did. Yes, it's a miscommunication with this letter, but go ahead and consider me Sawyer because you know what? I've probably done worse to people. Totally. Um, all right. So we go from uh, the man who was created by Sawyer in a manner of speaking to the man who was literally created by Sawyer in the form of John Locke, Anthony Cooper's son. Uh, and it's Said who's going to come to Locke and he's coming to Locke to interrogate Locke about what happened to him? Said is going like full Said Holmes here. Uh, is just investigating the people of the island, and Locke says he's got an alibi. Don't don't come to me. I was uh, I was cleaning the bore, and we uh, all say yes. That makes sense. Of course, it wouldn't be Locke. That doesn't make any sense. It's like I buy that immediately because I also saw him cleaning the bore as an audience member. I watched that happen. Uh, so it wouldn't make sense for him to have been in two places at the same time. Obviously, what we didn't know was Chef Jeff, yep. uh, we, the, the deleted scene uh, where a chef emerged from the woods to continue uh, butchering and eventually cooking the boar while John Locke was able to knock out Saeed. Uh, but but uh, Locke is going to throw somebody under the bus. He's going to throw Sawyer under the bus. And Saeed says, no, he has an alibi. Uh, but the, the alibi, it's whatever. Locke poo-poos the alibi pretty quickly. He's like, yeah, he could have he could have set off the firework. Anybody who watches television knows how to improvise a slow fuse yeah. with a cigarette. I kind of want to check John Locke's Nielsen box and see exactly what shows he's watching between all these, like, uh, survivalist, adventurous Bear Grylls shows and just this type of stuff. I feel like John Locke in his different world would be like a doomsday prepper, right? He'd become very resourceful in, like, how to drink his own pee. I mean, there's that, but there's also like the piece of it that like I would be very um, self-conscious if I if I knew that like John Locke was listening to our podcasts because I feel like he's a very detail oriented TV watcher. Mm -hmm. If he knows how to how to slow fuse uh, to create a slow fuse with a cigarette, 
Uh, and this is somebody who's paying attention to every single plot detail on every single show, and he's just going to be in our mentions just dusting <laughs> us up. Yeah, could you imagine uh, he like writes all these letters and like, Dear Matlock, referring to the episode that aired on Friday, I believe that you actually turned the gauge to the left instead of the right on your newest contraption, which indeed should have loosened it instead of tightened it. You're sincerely you- John Locke. I mean, you get this in Walkabout, too, when he when he goes to Troy's Anne and says, I know more about walkabouts than you do. Uh, it really is kind of a thing. John Locke is a man of faith-splaining everybody yeah, all over the island. Yeah, you know, he really does do that. But uh, he, he, Syed is now intrigued. Syed's like, oh, he has a point. I've watched TV, and I know how to <laughs> improvise a slow fuse. Uh, and so he's about to walk away, and then Locke says, wait, maybe you should take this. And he hands him a knife. He says, just in case there's a next time. Uh, and obviously this knife is going to come in handy later on in this episode. But as we also have the long view to take into account here on Down the Hatch, Mike, this is kind of cool because there's going to be a scene much later on in the show. It's not going to be John Locke, but it is going to be Terry O'Quinn. And there will be a scene in which Saeed returns a knife to Terry mm-hmm. O'Quinn uh, by stabbing it into his chest. Uh, and then it will then again be exchanged between the men. So just a lot of these ways in which the the first and final seasons echo each other uh, that I don't know that I fully appreciated on the first watch, but rewatches have illuminated for me. Really interesting tactic as well that, you know, Glock first hands it blade first to Saeed. Maybe that's foreshadowing what might be coming. Maybe it's just a hint towards Locke's uh, glint of malice, considering he was the one to knock out Saeed first, knowing that he was the one to do it. There's this really interesting Paul hanging over this scene, not only in Locke lying, which again is something that we're not necessarily familiar with, with this guy, but also for him to, you know, do that and then as a first instinct and then just sort of, oh, sorry, let me flip the knife around and give it to you handle first. It's like a small, subtle gesture that really hints towards Locke wanting to keep people on the island at all costs. What if there was a Paulo hovering over this scene? What if, like, Paulo is in the trees, like, spying on Oh, them man, I hope they're not on the diamonds. <laughs> not yet. Uh, later on that night at the caves, Shannon is struggling. The Asmar sucks to it. It's really kicking in pretty bad. Uh, and Sawyer shows up for, for to, to fill up his water bottles. Sawyer doing some night hiking. A lot of night hiking going on in this episode. Uh, dangerous stuff. Wait until daytime is my vote. Uh, but he takes a night hike to the caves to fill up his water. Jack sees him. He's not happy that Sawyer hasn't given up the inhalers. So he tells Sawyer to get up. And Sawyer stands up and he goes, It's about time, cowboy. I've been telling you since day one we were in the ball. Right into the face. Jack just like doesn't even wait for him to finish. I split, splits his lip. Open. I, I I like Jack this episode personally. I I know that we have a uh, copped a certain attitude at least with our impressions of Matthew Fox, but I sort of it's just his voice. We're just trying to yeah. You know, I, I just like the idea though that you know uh, since since post White Rabbit, we've seen you know Jack grapple a little bit with leadership, but this is probably the toughest thing that he's had to face. Of okay, he's tried diplomacy, he's tried you know being I guess quote unquote courteous, but this is a guy who just will not cooperate, and we see a more aggressive side of Jack, who really isn't going to come out until, I'd say, the latter half of the season once he realizes what his true fate is. But to see shades of that here, and, I mean, he also decks Sawyer, which I think everyone in both the caves and the audience wants him to do. And also a really nice continuity touch where after he does it the second time, you see him grab his shoulder because he ends up using his dominant hand, which was pinned under those rocks in the cave last episode. Yeah, uh, so he's he's doing really well, and it's like a nice early sign that, like, Jack is uh, 
Uh, he's come a long way in the fighting arena since he was a little boy getting tooled on by Scott Farkas. Well, I think now that uh, Scott Farkas is his best friend, he learned a few yeah, lessons. Yeah, he trained him. him. He trained him. Push it to the limit! Yeah, there was a training montage that we didn't get to see. Uh, but everybody else is, like, really freaked out. It's like, whoa, the doctor is uh, on roid rage right now. Uh, just the, <laughs> the doctor went off. Uh, yeah, and, like, to do it with, like, the pop shoulder and everything, fairly impressive. Uh, but Jack realizes that he's not going to be able to beat the shit out of Sawyer in front of everybody and get the inhaler. So he gives up. He relents. Uh, and we go back in flashback form to continue the con and Sawyer's going to sit down for a little business lunch with Jessica and her husband. And I don't know. This is not. This is not Kevin Richardson. This no, not, like I said, it's, this it's, this this may be Howie actually. Yeah, it might be Howie. <laughs> though I told you, I don't know. He's a he's a dead ringer for clean shaven Dominic Abate. In my oh, opinion. I, see. He, I know. He's, I he's see a construction it. guy. He's got like the spiky hair. He's he sort of has that Italian affability about him. Like I I cannot unsee it now. I feel like he's a little dweebier than than Dom, who's a tough guy in my mind. He's dwe- uh, he's dweebinick Abate. Dweebinick Abate, but uh, his name is David. Uh, there's a there's of course Dave is going to show up later on in Lost in the form of Hurley's imaginary friend, who may or may not be a smoke monster. There's some debate on the issue, and of course everybody is a smoke monster until proven otherwise mm-hmm. by us. Um, but we also know that Libby is going to sell her boat to Desmond in the season two finale. And when she says, what's your husband's name? She says, his name was Dave. His name is David. Could this be the guy? Could Libby go on to marry this David? Mm. Is everything that connected, Mike? Or it Probably could, it, I mean, Probably. I don't know. We saw that Jessica is a, a bit of a gold digger or at least is happy to be duplicitous to her husband. Maybe David's the same way. You know, maybe Turnabout is fair play. He's like, two can play at that game. You've been gallivanting around with this guy. I'm finding the nearest crazy institution and grabbing the first woman I see. We're locking it in. It's canon. Um, But Sawyer's going to show them the money. They're like, I don't know if this is such a good idea. He's like, yeah, you hold on to the money for the night and maybe you'll feel good. Uh, and then he's like, ah, you know what? I don't feel good about that. You guys clearly aren't feeling it. And then he walks away and they're like, no, we'll take the money. And then we get like our great little Sawyer smirk. Yeah. What do you think about uh, a slick back Sawyer, by the way? Uh, I guess I did say that Sawyer can rock any look and look fantastic. But I think that this is his least fantastic look. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I know that he's trying to come up across like a like a car salesman. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, man. It writes itself. But it really uh, but I does. think that. You know, if he's trying not to be sleazy, I think the slick back look like the Gordon Gecko style is really not a great perpetuator. Though maybe he's trying to play into that reverse psychology of like, I'm going to look so sleazy that it'll make you think, okay, is he too sleazy or is he so, you know, uh, confident in his own image that it doesn't matter what he dresses or looks like? Yeah, I just it's not it, it's not really doing it for me, but I'm not going to complain too much because so much else of Sawyer's aesthetic really does do it for me. Um, but what I like about this flashback is this is the first flashback of the episode that we're getting after the Sawyer letter reveal. So this is the first time mm-hmm. we're getting to see like kind of like that nefarious uh, like uh, grin to himself, like he's got a secret that he's keeping from Jessica and everybody. So now we're being like let in on the con at this point. So I think just structurally, I think that's really, really clever. Yeah. Um, all right, back on the island, uh, Claire and Charlie, they're both like just hanging out on the beach and talking about all the things that they miss and all the things that they want. She misses fluffy towels. Uh, and I guess Charlie keeps saying, uh, Banafee pie, which is not a thing that I know exists. I guess it's toffee and cream based. Yes, it's it a, sounds delicious. It's made from bananas, cream, and toffee combined either on a buttery biscuit base or one made from crumbled biscuits and butter. 
Has it been made in the Great British Baking Show in the past? No, Has I don't think. I don't think there's pie. Yeah, I don't think there's been Banoffee Pie Week. Well, we're gonna have to wait until Lost Week, where they have to make like fish biscuits, the technicals, the Banoffee Pie. Yeah, and then that's the, gonna be tough. And then the showstopper is uh, you have to construct the island out of cake. Yeah, was there a Paul Hollywood hanging over the scene between yeah. Locke and Sight? Exactly. Earlier? They were. They decided not to give each other handshakes. That's how you know yeah. uh, nervous they were about each other. Yeah, that when there's a handshake uh, on Lost, like it always means a lot. Like, yeah, everyone lot everyone applauds around it. them, so you know it's, it's not very a big deal. deliberate. Very deliberate. Uh, anyway, so he misses this toffee and cream and banana thing. That honestly, having never heard of it, and now just like googling pictures of it, looks fantastic, and I would eat the hell out of it. Sounds really wonderful. Um, and he's like, "Well, how do you not miss food? You're pregnant. You're so pregnant. How do you not miss anything?" And she says, "You know what? You're right." I miss peanut butter. I miss peanut butter very much. I'm the only person in Australia who loves peanut butter. Uh, I guess a peanut butter is like mostly like it. I feel like it has like it's, there's an Americanness to the to the peanut butter. Well, I I uh, think that the other option for Australians, I believe, is Vegemite. Uh, in terms mm. of just like something you easily spread on like a piece of bread. Uh, not to bemoan Australians too much. I will say, I guess I had like an offshoot of Vegemite. In the form of uh, of Biostrath, a South African energy drink that I guess has similar components. Definitely not my bag. Personally, I would go for peanut butter. But you know what? Uh, if you grow up eating Vegemite, I can understand. I guess to answer uh, you know, the concern about like how can you not uh, crave anything you're pregnant. I don't know. My wife had a very rough first trimester with our son where uh, she had hypermesis where she was very, very sick physically queasy a lot of the time and so uh, i think she was not craving anything during that pregnancy except for sweet sweet release of that baby out of her how about at the stage that claire is at where claire is like she's like a couple weeks away i don't yeah i don't think she ever got cravings wow. for anything we never got a thing where she's like hey get up and you know go get me some banoffee pie in the middle of the night though maybe if she had found out about this you know if we were watching this while she was pregnant maybe she would have found a new craving what if claire had been like you know what i do miss food i miss enchiladas uh that that could have that could have started all sorts of interesting things yeah exactly but it looks Uh, like charlie has a new mission he went from one crazy idea to another crazy idea we know that he goes to these lanes for the people that he likes and he has promised claire you will move out of this beach and into the caves if i provide for you some peanut butter okay well let's see how that shakes out uh meanwhile at the caves shannon's asmar is getting much much worse uh and she's starting to sound like a piggy with all the grunting it's 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 getting really intense and so dr jack is going to have uh a really great dr jack moment that is better heard than described so let's cut to sound number four help she's not breathing the attacks are getting worse Shannon, listen to me. Look at me. Look at me. You need to listen now. This isn't just the asthma. It's anxiety. It's in your head. Yes, you know that your medicines run out and you're panicking. Shannon, Shannon, look at me. But we can fight this together, okay? Nod your head, Shannon. Good. Breathe in. She needs her inhaled. Breathe in through the nose, slowly. No, 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 no. In through the nose like this. You can do this, Shannon. You can do it. In through the nose. You got your breath. 
Tyler's coming back. See, I knew you could do this. You feel it? Yeah. It's passing. Okay. Again, in through the nose. All right. Just keep doing that. Keep breathing like that. That's perfect. Good job. Keep her relaxed. Do not let her panic. Wow, man. That was awesome. I mean, that was like a Jedi moment. Still not sure what that, that means, Hurley, though. I guess maybe if Luke had uh, told uh, Ben Solo to use some deep breaths, he wouldn't have, you know, yeah. burned down the entire compound to become Kylo Ren. Oh, it's so great, though. I love it. It's just such a such a fun, fun line of that was like a Jedi moment. And that's like, I mean, Hurley's already fairly into Jack, uh, but that's a moment where he's just, man, Jack's great. I'm so glad I'm best friends with the doctor on the island. Do you, do you think um, he's projecting like a best friendship onto Jack when that's not the case? I don't know that there's much projection involved. I think that Jack would look at Hurley and probably say, like, yeah, that's my guy. Well, I, like, he was he was bringing the bags to the cave last episode with Hurley. Jack and Hurley are boys. I think they're boys, but I feel like if you're if you're ranking, like, who he's closest with, at this point, Kate's still number one, who he confides into. I think Hurley has been able to worm his way into number two, though I think those positions will swap very quickly once he sort of uh, finds out what Kate and Sawyer end up doing later on here. Uh, yes, so... We we're gonna we're gonna cut from that to Jack is gonna to, he's like he's all charged up now because like he's only got so many yeah, Jedi moments exactly in him. he's like oh I'm I'm I have un, un uh, what was it what's the the Emperor's line unlimited power unlimited power and so he wants to go yeah. shock Saeed to give back those inhalers yeah so Saeed's coming with Jack he comes to Jack he's like all right we need to get those inhalers. Uh, Sawyer's got him. I'm going to make Sawyer give them to me. Uh, listen, I don't want to brag, but I've spent five years in the Republican Guard. And Jack's like, I thought you were a communication officer. Or I guess he says, I thought you were a communications officer. <laughs> and and Saeed says, part of my training involved getting the enemy to communicate. Uh, he says, give me ten minutes. I'll get the medicine. And Jack gives it, yeah, that sounds cool. Can I watch? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll watch. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll give a secret nice. signal. If I do a little chicken dance, that means stop torturing him. Yes, so that's going to be the move. We're going to go into Torture Town. Uh, but first, we're going we're gonna to see a couple of other things that are happening. Charlie and Hurley are going to be walking through the jungle, and Charlie wants to know about uh, secret stashes of food for emergencies. Wait until are season any- two, Charlie. <laughs> Are there any peanut products? Yeah, and Charlie's like going to shame Hurley here. He's like, there's got to be something. I mean, look at you. Um, and Hurley's like, look at me what? Aw, I feel so bad. Hurley's down a belt notch, too. Like, Charlie, just because you're shallow Hal doesn't mean that you should be so mean to Hurley, who's going to become yet another person who's in a Hurley's entourage soon. Yeah, so I don't love this. This makes me ha- uh, unhappy. This makes me sad. Yeah, I think that, you know... Uh, and Hurley talks about how, you know, it's going to be a little while before you can give him a piggyback ride. Maybe he's hoping that he can be the Yoda to Jack Luke Skywalker and have him <laughs> give him a piggyback ride while he's hauling the beachcraft out of the Dagobah swamp. Right. But that's not going to happen anytime soon is what he says. Uh, and I don't love that Lost eventually is going to come back to this and be like, yeah, it turns out that Hurley is hoarding the food. Uh, that's like some of the season two has some stuff in there. It's like. Did we need any of this? Yeah. Did this, did this need to be on the show? Yeah, I yeah, I don't like how this is like, oh, we're acknowledging the fact that, you know, Jorge Garcia hasn't lost that much weight. Like, it's 
I, I don't feel like we need to. We're buying the smoke monster. I think we can buy the weight maintenance without having to do a full subplot of uh, the, the, the Dharma food. The Dharma pantry is to Hurley as the heroine is to Charlie. Uh, but whatever. We'll get, we don't have to get there yet. We've got other business to take care of. Yeah, here. like the Michael's um, son romance. Yeah, which is continuing to some degree where Michael is at the caves. He's gutting a fish. It's super gross. It gets everywhere. And Sun comes up to him and like terrifies him. He's like, ah, I didn't see you coming. Uh, And she says, hey, uh, you know how I talk English? I talk English real well. And you and I are going to talk right now. And I'm going to tell you that I think that I can help the doctor out. I think I can help Shannon. Little tiny little cliffhanger. And that's going to pay off later on in the episode. Yeah, I mean, look, if this is the Michael Sun interaction, I'm fine with it. Uh, you know, it, it's I'm very trepidatious just about I know this is not going to end up being the thing. But if we have to sit through this and Kate and Sawyer, you know, flirting and rebuffing one another, it feels like we're just sort of repeating the same time loop over and over and over again with some of these characters, though. Sun's going to have a bit of growth here in her showing her value to the camp. OK, so after this, we're going to go back to the beach and Sawyer, as Sawyer does, he's taking a little snooze in the middle of the afternoon in his beach bungalow. And he's all relaxed and everything's great. He's probably dreaming of bunnies. Uh, and he's going to be very rudely awakened by Saeed Jarrah with a punch to the face. And it is so excellent. I don't know how many of you are like watching and listening to the podcast or if you're just listening to the podcast. And really it's for the people who are just listening to the podcast and letting us relive Lost for you that this is for. But you need to hear it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to hear the moment because it's so, so good. Yeah, here's Sound number five. The best <laughs> alarm clock in the world. Here we go. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> I, love, I, I love the clang as That's well. It. Like that makes me yeah. very interested as to like, did he have something else in his hand as well? Was he like a uh, holding something like you might hold like a, a, a bag of nickels or something to really fortify your punch? Listen, the sound design on Lost is spectacular, but the Foley guy, uh, for every time somebody gets like hit in the face, it sounds like every single bone should have broken. Like yeah. it sounds like just like you just got like wailed on. It, it sounds like Saeed is one punch man. Yeah, can we hear it again? In fact, good morning. <laughs> yeah, it has like a cartoony like playing. <laughs> like it sounds like he got hit by a train. <laughs> Uh, good morning unbelievable yeah i i don't know how to like turn that into an alarm clock noise but i would like it yeah if someone if somebody knows how to like custom i have an iphone if you know how to get like your uh your alarms on your iphone to be like custom sounds please let me know because i would love saeed Jarrah to wake me up every day though ironically enough he basically should have said like good morning dink good night good night yeah uh yeah it's just good morning and then a, a punch to the face and Jack and Saeed are then just going to be, like, ripping Sawyer away from the beach bungalow. And Kate's like, hey, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And Jack says, it's Sawyer's choice. This wasn't my choice. Uh, and they're going to take him into the middle of the jungle. They're going to splash water on Sawyer's face. And uh, with the way that Saeed one punches you into unconsciousness, it's not a surprise that with the force with which he throws a bucket of water on you, that it's going to wake you up. Yeah, exactly. It's like a tsunami. <laughs> so Sawyer gets tsunami to the face and he wakes up and he knows this is a bad situation and Jack kneels down beside him and he says 
Sawyer, you got one last chance. Do the right thing. We just want the inhalers, and then we'll stop. Uh, it doesn't have to be this way. And Sawyer says, yeah, it does. It's got to be this way. And so Jack was trying to reason with him one last time, but reason is not going to take hold. So Saeed's going to take hold. Yeah. And Saeed's going to kneel down beside Sawyer and tell him what's up. Let's listen to it. Sound number six. We do not have bamboo in Iraq. Although we do have something similar. Reeds. But their effect is the same. When the shoots are inserted underneath the fingernails. You know what I think, Ali? I think you've never actually tortured anybody in your life. Unfortunately for us both. You're wrong. Mike, I thought that you said that Sawyer was Ali. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, he's more so smoking Joe Frazier, considering how much I he likes know. to use cigarettes to make slow fuses. It's so interesting. I think forgotten in this episode is how it is a big Sawyer episode, obviously, but it really sets up so many things for Solitary. I can't wait to get to Solitary. And, That's such a good episode. And for like what we find out about Saeed and the fact that this moment is really going to jar him. Because it's going to take back him back to the time when he was a jarhead, when he was in uh, the Republican Guard and he was doing some pretty unsavory things. I think, honestly, he has his blinders up at this point. I think Locke has enraged him to this idea that Sawyer was the one to doom his only chance of getting off the island. So he is ready to reach into this really dirty bag of tricks. What I, there's so many interesting things about this scene. I mean, Sawyer assumes that Saeed is as much of a liar as he is. Right, he's and that's an interesting facet of Sawyer's character, and you see, maybe that's one reason why he feels like he and Kate have a connection. I think he he could sort of sniff out that she is used to lying about herself, and maybe he just has an assumption that humanity has a way about lying about who they are. So he thinks that Saeed's just talking a big old game about how he's going to be able to torture. Unfortunately, it's not true. Josh, as you know, I guess our resident torture expert, considering how much twenty four you have (laughs) imbued into your blood Uh at this point. I mean. How did you feel this ended up coming across? Was this cringy at all? Because we don't actually see it happen, uh, but we damn well hear it. You know, you really do. And we're sparing everybody uh, to having to hear the screams. It would be very difficult uh, listening to that with headphones on. I could tell you, having watched the episode with headphones on. Um, so much of this comes down to Josh Holloway, uh, who is a really, really great actor. Um and he the way that like he's howling in pain uh, as as he's and as he's like writhing as Saeed is behind him and just like clearly just like shoving things up his fingers. That's horrible. Things are not supposed to go there. Yeah, they, uh, they, there's there's nails on top of them for a reason. And they're like really snug. They're very tightly fixed onto your fingertip. There's not supposed to be things underneath the nail. Uh, the nail is supposed to protect What's underneath there? I don't want to know what's underneath there. I don't want to see that. I don't want anything to touch that. I certainly don't want bamboo reeds to touch that. Now, but Uh, though, I guess to be fair, this is preferable to you than Saeed taking out Sawyer's eye considering your eye thing. I think that all of it would have been horrible. And I think the the moment that he mentioned uh, bamboo reeds, I would have been like, okay, I don't have the inhalers. I don't have them. Or or you would have responded like, oh, do you have any bamboo joshes? And then you'd get it shoved under your fingernail uh, harder. (laughs) Immediately. Yeah, listen, I don't think that I would have let it get this far, frankly. I think I'd probably be like, yeah, I found the book. I didn't find the luggage. I don't know. Um, But uh, yeah, at this point, I'm out. I'm tapping out pretty quickly. (laughs) 
Uh, I mean, torture expert only insofar as I watched a lot of torture on 24. But when it comes to like, if I were to be tortured, I'm like an immediate yes, whatever you want to know. <laughs> uh, full Craven mode. I'm Samuel Tarley all the way. Well, this is just, you know, again, a really interesting scene for Sawyer because, you know, you had that line you mentioned before where Jack says it doesn't have to be this way. And Sawyer replies, yeah, it does. When it doesn't at all. Like we know, he does not have the inhalers. But he feels like he needs to now be physically tortured after being emotionally and mentally tortured, essentially, since he was a kid. Maybe he felt like this was an opportunity to do so. Maybe he wanted to give them the runabout. You know, despite him screaming at the top of his lungs, he's still spouting out one-liners about, no wonder why we kicked your ass in the Gulf War, or my my sinuses are starting to clear. So he's still sore at the end of the day. But yeah, we see a lot of sides to Josh Holloway, especially in the latter half of this episode. And to see a guy so smug so in pain is such an interesting shade of this character. Sawyer can take a lot of abuse. He can take a lot of punishment, and he will across Lost. You know, in the in the, the polar bear cage stage of, of Lost in early season three, he's going to be Pickett's punching bag. Uh, you know, there's going to be some scenes even in, in season five uh, in, in the incident when, when he and, um, and Juliet and the other uh, Dharmaville people have been caught and they're being sent away. He's going to get his, his butt kicked there, too. Um, so he's, he's somebody who's used to getting... Uh, to get to finding himself on the receiving end of a beatdown like this, but I think that this is pretty high up there in terms of like the severity of the beatdowns. This is gonna get shot in the shoulder. Yep. Uh, and have, you know, and have to pull the out the bullet with his own fingers. Sawyer's a tough guy. Sawyer's a tough guy. So what's a couple of bamboo reeds between friends? Uh, <laughs> so the fact that he like makes it a few reeds through the fingertips. Uh, he makes it through that whole stage, yeah. right, without breaking, and it's not until the eye, and he's like, all right, this isn't worth losing an eye over. Uh, so that's what he says, like, I'll talk, I'll talk, but only if it's Kate. Um, so we'll get to that in a second. First, there's a flashback. Uh, this is, an, I think that this is a scene that, like, I always forget exists. Yeah. You, 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 uh, sort, of, you sort of don't remember. You thought, oh, Sawyer just has this money from a previous exploit, and you don't realize that uh, Billy Mayo, Billy Mayo here for Loan Shark... Give him $140,000, which I'm a bit confused by because he tells Sawyer he loaned him $160,000. Do we think that Sawyer just pocketed like 20 grand to spend on on his own lavish lifestyle? Yeah, he says, I like earning it as much as I like spending it. Yeah, I guess that's true, Uh, though. You get in deep with loan sharks, you're going to be in a bit of trouble, and maybe not in as much trouble, or maybe even more so than when he was 19 and decided to officially take on the con business, but... It appears that much like on the island, uh, in real life, he's not nearly as smooth as the veneer makes him out to be, as uh, he did not get this money from nowhere. He got it from this guy, Kilo, and Kilo wants uh, 160,000 Kilo uh, b- back to him, even though Sawyer has now invested. With interest. Yeah, plus yeah, 50% by tomorrow, or he's going to get his ass beat down. Though, again, like you said, Sawyer's more than happy for the punishment. Yeah, we never find out what happens there, which is fine. Yeah, because he I'm left the money that. at their house. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so we come out of the flashback and we've yada yada and Kate has found out that she is the only person Sawyer is willing to speak with. So let's get our penultimate sound from the episode. Let's get sound number seven here. So I'm here. Where is it? Happy to tell you. As soon as I get that kiss. What? Are you serious? Baby, I'm tied to a tree in a jungle of mystery. I just got tortured by a damn spinal surgeon and a genuine Iraqi. Of course I'm serious. Wait, did 
did Sora just say that Saeed is genuine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would <laughs> My God. Maybe that's, maybe that's maybe that's why he thinks he's lying about being a torturer. It's like I know your secret. I know yeah, you really are. I know you're really genuine. And that's really interesting because we're, we're going to get to the pony episode several episodes down the line. True, true. Yeah, we've got some time, but we'll have to remember that when we get there. Uh, of course, this is, uh, I, I just love the line delivery there. I love uh, uh, the jungle of mystery, tortured by a spinal surgeon and a genuine Iraqi. Of course, I'm serious. Uh, I guess it's just a great Sawyer moment, especially as he's like kind of breathless after getting his butt kicked. Um We'll spare you the sounds of them just, like, tonguing each other in your ear, uh, because who needs to hear that? Uh, use your imagination. Yeah, that, that's, that's, your, that's our say, own form of torture. It's, it's hotter than, than enchilada lovemaking. Uh, I forget who asked us on Twitter many weeks ago, uh, but said, like, listen, the Boone and Shannon kiss later in the season is gross, but the, the, the Kate and Sawyer hookup is really hot, and I want you to stop down and describe just how hot it is uh, when we get there, um, Bloom, you're the porn star. Take it away. I'm not. I play a porn star. I'm you not play a porn, porn star. star. The Let's not equate. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's pretty salacious and it's weird. Sawyer's very bloodied. I'm assuming his fingernails are just a wreck at this point. But I mean, they go in for the kiss and it's it seems like well, Kate's very reticent to do it. She does it. And then it develops into like three, four kisses and a full makeout. And it's interesting because, again, we've seen Kate so repugnant towards towards Sawyer for the first two months of this show. And then now she does this, and maybe what he was saying all along actually might have a hint of validity to it. She she is at least a little bit attracted to him, even when he looks his worst. And, yeah, you could feel it emanating from off the screen, just like that chemistry and I think they saw that chemistry and said, okay, let's make an entire love triangle out of this that will last several seasons. It's very hot, to be honest. It's very steamy. It's a very good kiss. The context of it, not so great. The means with which it occurred, really not awesome. Uh, but in the greater context of the Sawyer and Kate story, perhaps forgivable, the beginning of a connection between these two. Uh, murky stuff. We don't need to go too far into the weeds on it, or the reeds on it, the reeds on it. Uh, but after the kiss, Sawyer's going to admit, I don't have the inhaler, I don't have it, I never did. And then we don't have the sound on this, but Kate like elbows him in the face with, again, like the significance Bang. of just getting, just like getting like dong, yeah, just like getting like every single bone in your face just shattered into, into bits of glass. Uh, but Kate leaves him, she goes back to Saeed and Jack and says, yeah, he doesn't have it. Trust me, <laughs> I would know at this point. And Saeed, human lie detector Saeed, is like, no, he's been lying to us from the beginning. He attacked me. He destroyed the stuff. Yeah. I gotta and get this him. is when Saeed reveals that he played linebacker for the Republican Guard football team for those five years yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, he played at Republican Guard. Uh, and he goes and he just like tackles the shit out of Sawyer, who's like already been untying himself. Uh, and they tussle on the ground. Which I find interesting as well, because... I mean, do we think that he could have untied himself all along? Do you think that he was using the kiss to buy time for himself, or could this be? Ooh, yeah, I like. Could that. this be like yet another torturous form of Sawyer, where he's like, "I deserve this. I know I can escape at any time, but do I really need to?" Yeah, I could see. I could see it being any of those things. I like the idea of um, him like buying himself some time. I think it speaks to the cleverness of Sawyer. But I, I think you know whatever interpretation of that works for you. Either way, he's going to tussle around with Saeed, and Saeed is going to like stab Sawyer in the arm by accident, <sighs> and, like leave the knife in there. Yeah, 
Uh, and I'm no doctor. Jack is. But Jack sees the knife that's in Sawyer's arm, and he pulls it out, and it starts gushing blood. He's yeah. like, you hit an artery. It's like, aren't you supposed to keep it in? Well, I don't know if you're supposed to keep it in the entire time, but yeah, I think... Not the entire time, forever. It's like, well, now you're yeah, going to have now this your knife whole in you knife forever. Arm. <laughs> I think, like, maybe, like, you wait until Saeed goes and gets the leather backpack, and then you pull the knife out. I don't know. Doctors have downed the hatch. Let us know. Am I right? Am I wrong? Is this like the fish bashing thing again? Yeah, may, just may, not maybe he felt that the knife was dirty and that it could be a chance of infection. Or maybe, uh, maybe it was yes. just a pure adrenaline thing of like something's pulled in there, you pull it back out. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a pretty graphic and very stressful scene where, yeah, Sawyer might die now because Saeed accidentally stabbed him in the arm during this tussle with the knife given to him by the person who actually did knock him out in the jungle. Uh, and Kate has this really interesting line where she says, you know, can you make it stop? And I feel like she's not only referring to the bleeding, but also referring to Sawyer's behavior and both of which are going to be at least a little cauterized over the next couple scenes. The, the blood is going to be easier to make stop than the attitude. I think. Um, yeah. This, this so- <laughs> boy's got a, a bleeding already, but what he really needs is an attitude adjustment. Side's going to run off in search of the leather backpack. He's going to get to the caves right quick. Uh, uh, he he shows up. He's covered in blood, and Boone's like, "Oh my God, you guys went after Sawyer without me. How could you do it?" And Shannon's like, "Hey, Boone, not now. Need you. If the Jedi's not going to be here, I need the Padawan. Uh, somebody's got to talk me through this Force breathing." Uh, so Boone stays behind. Side kind of like watches them both. It's like he knows that yeah. his entire uh, existence is tied up in the in the Shannon. Of yeah, he looks like, "Yes, I hit that." <laughs> I would hit that forever. Uh, yeah, I will so show leaves. her my read. <laughs> uh, so Michael, he comes back to Sun. He's got the eucalyptus leaves. Jin shows up, and he's not happy that Michael and Sun are palling around. And Jin like does some uh, some angry talking towards Michael, and Michael just gives him like that. Yo, don't talk to me. Don't uh, do this, I love that. I mean, we saw that on the previously on. We saw like the. It's weird that they really highlighted the aftermath of House of the Rising Sun, considering this is the C-plot at best in, yeah, this, we don't need this. in this episode. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I think Michael sort of calling back to that big, grandiose monologue he had to Jin was a, a nice reminder of, again, how much on the rocks those two are. So back in the jungle, we're, we're still seeing Sawyer just, like, writhing on the ground and Jack trying to, you know, to keep the bleeding from getting out of control. And Sawyer's telling Jack, let go. I know you want to. He tells Freckles, let go. We already made out. What else do I have to live for? I hate that. Like, we already made out. It's like, what are yeah, you, it's, 12? It's also not, yeah, it's not very, I mean, I don't know. This is the guy who also wrote in his letter, like, you had sex with my mother. He's not very imaginative yeah. when it comes to his romantic language. We already made out. Uh, he tells Jack, if the tables were turned, I'd watch you die. Uh, to some extent, I believe that. Yeah, well, and I think, and I think depends, he's, he's also depends on the day. This is also very OTT, you know. Maybe his his brain is also losing a lot of blood as well at the same time. But you got a feeling this is really, uh, you know, when Kate says in the beginning of the episode of like you can't really be like this. I get a feeling from this Sawyer as well. Like this is clearly a guy who's really projecting and trying to be because he's at his most vulnerable right now, and he doesn't want people to help him, so he's really trying to repel them at all costs. All right, so we get a flashback here, and great success. We're in the oil business. Uh, Sawyer and David and Jessica and everybody's happy, and they're back at David and Jessica's Backstreet Palace, uh, and then a boy appears, and holy shit, this kid is terrifying. 
he just appears. He says, Mom, read to me. He goes, Will you read to me? Will you read to me? And it's this boy who, like, you never see him speak. It's all, like, ADR. So, like, you get the sense, like, maybe, like, the boy who's on screen is also not the boy who is saying the line, Will you read to me? And, like, it makes me, it gives off, like, this impression that he's, like, terrifyingly, like, telepathic. Mm. And he's just, like, he's, like, speaking in Sawyer's brain. What if what if uh, the boy was the OG Sawyer? Interesting. Could be. And this is, like, his own projection. Yeah. You know, I thought, that's what I thought the first time I watched the episode. It's like, oh, is he freaking out right now? Is he, like, tripping? Is he, like, seeing his own past mm. at this point? Um, but, no, it's just this strange little alien kid. Uh, who who just wants mom and dad to read to him, and uh, Sawyer is now going to be triggered in the past uh, and realize, oh my God, what have I done? This is I'm just the cycle continues, and I'm per- I'm a terrible perpetrator of this terrible terror in everybody's lives, and I need to get out of here. And he he drops the case. He says the deal's off, and David grabs Sawyer, and Sawyer says, "Take your hand off me, boy! You damn dirty David!" Yeah, and he drops the money and he leaves. And I feel like when you look at this scene, like, it's no surprise that, like, later on in the show, Sawyer's going to be fairly cool with, like, baby Ben Linus. Like, he's got, like, a soft spot in his heart for kids. Well, I think, you know, he's going to talk about, or I don't know if he talks about it, but I think it's uh, something that's alluded to is the fact that he's sort of comes from a series of broken homes you know we see his uncle i believe in the incident during his parents funeral and then he sort of just gets uh you know uh, shuffleboarded off to various locations so i do wonder if he has like a soft spot for kids no matter where they come from because he knows how tough it can be out there especially in bad situations i guess you know we never see david and jessica again so i guess the question is did he prevent that type of future for this kid, or was the damage already done, do you think? Because we hear that David starts to argue with Jessica, and Jessica's like, it wasn't supposed to be like this, and I'm assuming that her uh, you know, her deeds are going to come to light as well. Could Sawyer have already damned this kid to a similar fate as he did by doing these actions, even though he walked out on the deal? I would expect to some degree, right? Like, I think, like, to some extent, the damage is done. I think, like, the affair probably comes out after this. David probably finds out about uh, Jessica and Sawyer. Uh, and then maybe Jessica finds out about David and Libby. Uh, so, yeah, And then, and then Jessica and David and Libby get in a thruple. <laughs> yeah. And then this, so, kid, and this kid's like, okay, somebody better read to me. There's three of you now. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's got somebody's to read me a bedtime story. Uh, yeah, I think it's Even though we're in the middle of the day. I think he's caused a real problem. Um, but we go back to the island, and Sawyer wakes up, and his arm is bandaged, and Kate is there. She says, You're lucky to be alive. Jack went back to the caves to check in on Shannon and make sure that she's all right. Uh, hey, by the way, I read the letter a lot. I read read it a bunch. I kept thinking, like, why are you such an asshole? Why would you beat up Boone just because he was trying to help his sister? Uh, And it makes me feel like you just want to be hated. Like, you just want everyone to hate you. And it made me realize that I should take a closer look at the letter. And when I did, there's a a stamp. And it's from 1976. You're the kid. You wrote the letter. Your name's not Sawyer, is it? Which brings us to the final sound of confidence, man. his name. He was a confidence man. Romance my mom to get to the money. Wiped him out clean, left a mess behind. So I wrote that letter. 
was 19. I needed six grand to pay these guys off I was in trouble with. So I found a pretty lady with a dumb husband who had some money. Jeez, what the well, Sawyer was going to be about 12 years early on that film. Uh, but yeah, so there's so many things I love about the scene. The first thing I want to point to is the music. And this is referring to, of course, the great Jim Fells and his analysis every week that he does on his YouTube channel. And there's a motif. There's like a Sawyer theme throughout this episode of some bass harp notes just sort of plunking out. It's very Jaws-like from my purview of like it being very menacing which again hints towards sawyer's more villainous nature from what we've seen of him so far but if you notice you know the scene that we just played starts off with those notes but when he starts getting into his confession we then add in some higher pitched strings and it becomes a bit more emotionally fluid and i think that's just a great representation of the very simplistic way we looked at the sawyer character going into this scene and how he is not just an instrument he's an entire orchestra Wow. Oh my god. Is that how you felt the first time you encountered Sawyer? Like this is a this is a this is a full orchestra, this man. I mean this isn't just a heart. At this moment, yeah. And, and yeah, I know, you know, the the I became the man that I uh you know that I that destroyed me, I became Sawyer is a little on the nose, but I, I actually really like it as a line because it is horrifically ironic and it informs so much about what we've seen of him so far and what we're going to see of him. Now that we know what his mission statement is, what his I want statement is, it's going to inform so much what he does on and off the island. Maybe that's a reason why those flashbacks don't really work, like you said, is because, you know, that's a bit muddled by some of the other stuff he gets involved in, whereas we know right now he has a very clear purpose, and that makes him feel a certain way. All right, so that's uh, that's the last, like, major piece of Sawyer content we get in this episode. There's still some more business here in Confidence Man. Jack goes back to the caves. When he gets there... He arrives to find that Sun has come up with a workaround for the asthma. She's got eucalyptus turned into a paste uh, that she's rubbing on Shannon's chest. And Boone's like, yeah, she just like showed up. And like in 10 minutes, Shannon was breathing. And Jack loves this. He's like, oh, man, okay. I'm not like the only person who knows how to do yeah, I, I think I think he actually says great. like, smart, Jack. As in to be like, Jack, you dumbass. How did you not know about the eucalyptus plants growing around the island, you botanist, well, you? Yeah, I mean, listen, he had taken a couple of classes, so of course he's an expert, and so I think he's kicking himself for not realizing it. Um, in fact, he was even making planes out of eucalyptus mm. earlier in the uh, deleted scenes of the episode. Um, so that's fun. Back at the beach, Charlie comes to Claire, says, I packed you up. It's time to move. I got the peanut butter. There's just one warning, though. It's extra smooth. I hope you like extra smooth. She's like, yeah, smooth's all right. Even though like she's like biting her tongue. She's like, I'm chunky. I like chunky. I like extra chunky. Listen, any port in a damn storm, okay? You know, beggars can't be choosers. But maybe beggars could be choosers if Charlie returns with an empty mason jar. There's nothing in there. I mean, 
first off, uh, you know, I think it'd be pretty ridiculous to find a jar of peanut butter. I know we found a hoard. What about the magic box? Anything you want is in there. That's true. I mean, we also peanut have butter. Um, but there are no peanut butter smugglers around this time of year. You know, we have the fireworks and we have the dolls. Uh, but I don't know where Charlie would find a mason jar. Who is carrying a mason jar with them? Yeah, who's the mason jar hoarder? I mean, I don't really get that either. And how did it stay intact? That's, is fairly. I mean, impressive. that's what. Listen, I think Saeed should use that as his evidence of like, why are we not all dead? Look what happened to this mason jar. It's perfectly intact. Yeah. Uh, but he's like, here it is. It's, it's the best peanut butter I've ever had. Stick to the roof of your mouth. Makes you want a glass of milk. Extra smooth. It's the best bloody peanut butter I've ever tasted. And she's like, all right, you're cool. I guess I'm going to the caves. I, I'm sold. I think I think this is really cute. And this is like this. It is cute. It's this, cute. I'm giving it shit, but it's very yeah, cute. And this is the seminal Charlie Claire scene. I think everyone thinks back onto the point where, you know, I think uh, some of us with like the Mandela effect might remember this actually happening earlier in the season. Uh, we have some other Charlie Claire meet cute scenes, but I feel like this is the first time that, you know, Charlie has overcome his demons for now. And I think he's ready to pursue different relationships with other people. And I, I think this is a really fun scene. It's a little weird to watch Dominic Monaghan make love to his fingers, but you know what? I think it has a lot of sweetness to it and a bit of crunch. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I love this scene as well. Um, back at the beach, Kate's just like staring out at the shore. It's like almost sunset at this point. And Saeed is heading out of town. He's got a bag. He's leaving. And Kate's like, where are you going? He goes, I can't stay here. I'm leaving. I don't know for how long. Uh, and Kate is uh, not, not thrilled about that. She's like, it's getting dark. There's scary stuff out in the jungle. And Saeed says that there's worse things to fear than what's in the jungle. Um, maybe. But there's some, there is scary stuff out there. And at nighttime, I don't like the nighttime uh, departure. I think I've established that. Um, but Said says, what I did today, what I almost did, I swore I would never do again. Um, so he can't, now that he knows that he can't keep that promise, he, he shouldn't be here. Yeah. So he's going to walk the shore, he's going to map the island, he's going to see what else is out there, and he can't think of a better person to do it than the only one I trust. Which is a bit of a, like a diss at Kate, right? Considering how buddy-buddy he was with her for such a long time, he's pretty much inferring of like, I can't trust you anymore. But I think that there. Well, listen. Is it a dig at Kate, or is like, is it like at this point, like has she earned that because she dropped the equipment from the tree? <laughs> That's the one. I give you one chance, and then yeah, you're done. You, you get one chance, one strike, you and then you're out. Chance. That's how we play baseball in the Republican Guard. I was the shortstop. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow! Very powerful position. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, look, he has to do what he's got to do, and he's got to leave. But can't you leave in the morning? <laughs> Can't you leave when you're going to have a whole lot of daylight? Maybe he feels like he's honestly tempted. You know, the more Sawyer hangs around that camp, the more he's going to be tempted to just really do do worse things to him. I thought it was really interesting how Saeed basically talks to Kate like he's never going to see her again, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he feels like it's a suicide mission or if he feels like it's going to take forever to uh, map the shore of the island, but his feelings of just this being finality with his time with these groups of people— Maybe he feels like he has like sullied his reputation with what he did, and so he needs to cut ties immediately. Uh, so we get to the end of the episode. It's a montage. Uh, I Shall Not Walk Alone is playing by the Blind Boys of Alabama over the montage. Uh, and just to bring another one of our feedback portions into this early section of the podcast, other number one, John Krause had written in and said that the Blind Boys of Alabama have been around since the 30s and are actually blind. And sadly, the leader of the band, Clarence Fountain, died in June of 2018. 
Um, it's a great moment. I, I really love this song. Uh, ben Martell notes that it was originally written by Ben Harper, and this is a cover. Um, but it, it plays really beautifully over this moment as uh, as Charlie and Claire, they're walking to the caves. Uh, Boone and Shannon, they're already there. She's got a blanket. He gives her a big bottle of water. Sawyer's at the beach. He's flirting with the idea of lighting up the Sawyer letter. He can't do it. Uh, and then Saeed is walking off into the distance uh, as the the lyrics, I shall not walk alone, are blaring. And he's ignoring the song's advice. Whatever. That's confidence, man. Yeah, well, maybe he's not alone because he's with all the spirits of people that he's tortured. And he always has that picture of Nadia. Speaking of, again, men that hold on to pieces of paper. The interesting thing about this song, though, is it's diegetic. It's uh, not playing on Hurley's Walkman, which is usually the way we hear, you know, non-Giacchino songs. It's just something that naturally plays. Very unlike Lost. Very unlike Lost. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a nice ending for the episode. I think it ends it on, like, an appropriately somber note, given, like, the emotional roller coaster you're on throughout Confidence Man, where, like, you uh, you leave this episode thinking about Sawyer a little bit differently. Like, you're not fully sold on him, but you definitely understand him more now. Um, and I, I don't think that we're fully on, in redemptive territory for this guy quite yet. I think it's going to be a long journey for for our boy, James Ford. Um, but we've started it, right? Like, we've, we've pushed it to, like, we're pushing it further up the hill. And there's going to be other moments along the way here in Season 1 where he's going to be a bit more likable. Um, but when you think about where he winds up by the end of the show... Uh, it's it's so crazy to think that he just walks away from the show as like one of the most decisive fan favorite yeah. likable characters, at least in my book. Yeah, the thing about this episode is, again, I feel like the first third is fine. It felt like, again, we were hitting some familiar beats. Sawyer's an asshole, flirts with Kate, Michael and Son are doing their little eyeing across each other from the way of the caves. But I feel like the, the latter two thirds of this episode hums. It is intense. It is heartbreaking, it is twisting, and overall it gives us a better sense of a character. Now, whether or not he's a good person remains to be seen, but the fact is we went into this episode thinking one thing about Sawyer, and we left knowing that his name isn't even Sawyer. And I think it's a really cool way to not only reveal the character, but like we talked about, we talked about this a bit with Jin as well in House of the Rising Sun. I'm I'm glad that they also gave us some time to breathe. We also didn't bring up the fact that this is the first flashback sequence that did not show how Sawyer got to Australia, which feels so different, but I really like it. I feel like if they included all the stuff about him, you know, shooting this, the guy, Frank got tricked by too soon. Yeah. Got tricked by his former partner. Like we need time to get to know what he did outside of the Island and why he is like this. And I feel like once you do that, then you can get to Australia. I feel like this was a great use of flashback to tie into some really compelling yet cringy on Island stuff. All right, well, let's get into our feedback section. But before we do, we want to thank our friends, our sponsors for this episode of the Down the Hatch podcast. Mike, that's BetDSI.com. What a great time of year it is. Football, football, football. (laughs) Hooray, our favorite subject. Mr. Friendly and Jack Shepard just tossing the pigskin in the middle of the jungle. And if you're looking to add some excitement to the game, make BetDSI.com your betting partner. Uh, I'm sure Sawyer would be thrilled to use BetDSI.com. Some side hustles as he's trying to make a dollar out there in the world. Yeah, I could definitely see him like do it, abbreviate his initials to DSI and be able to run away with the money that uh, he skimmed off all these people after they try to bet on college bowl games. 
Yes, the the Hanzo Foundation originally was going to add uh, the Dharma Sports Initiative uh, as a as a piece of the the DI, but they just couldn't get the funding uh, together in time. But you, if you want to use BetDSI to go with your sports viewing and you want to get some live betting going on, that's BetDSI's whole deal. It's a live betting platform where you can watch all the events and even bet all the games until the final whistle new members get a hundred percent bonus match using promo code recap 101 that's double your money to start winning today so if this sounds interesting to you that's a really really good deal uh this has been uh, around for a while bet dsi they've been around they've been paying winners for 20 years top rated betting I know it's top rated on betting review sites. Uh, it's very user friendly. It's interface and it's mobile site. It's got a very fast payout. You just play, you win, you get paid. That's the way you want it to be. They've got betting options for everything. NFL, NBA, NHL, boxing, all the major sports, even politics, even reality TV. Mike. Oh, man, we should have got in on that. Although we had some insider information into this past season of reality TV. So. It would have been bad, yeah, if we had like made a bet on who will be the first one out of Survivor Island of the Idols. We could have cleaned up. Absolutely. We could have been our own confidence men. I'm glad that we didn't. We play things fair over here. So betdsi.com using promo code RECAP101. That's how you're going to double your money to start winning today with a 100% bonus match. That's betdsi.com promo code RECAP101 to get this limited time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash. Mike, it's only a game until you bet it at betdsi. All right. Let's get into the feedback, the 15, 16 others segment. And we already took one other off the board. So let's hop in to the second other of the week. Uh, We're dealing with some cleanup from the moth uh, before we start getting into confidence, man. Uh, We got a lot of responses from people uh, who obviously a lot of heavy subject matter to talk about as it relates to the moth, uh, talking about uh, substance abuse and and how that relates to Charlie. And I was open about the fact that it's something that I deal with mm. as well. It was a very awkward thing to talk about. I was very touched that I had some nice responses from from people. Uh, it seems like some people are, are even reevaluating some of their own relationships uh, with potential substance abuse. So if there is anything that we're talking about here that is helping you out in your own life, uh, that, is a, that is a bonus. Yeah. This was from Dave Carlson, who wanted to thank us for being open about the struggles with anxiety and depression also about the substance abuse stuff uh dave writes i personally relate to everything you talked about a lot that's why i love the moth so much that i'm writing a song about it i'll try to squeeze in a line about everyone wants some more everyone wants a piece uh, i certainly hope that you are able to do that dave i will notice uh, that dave Brett- did not take my empty suitcase line but whatever <laughs> but what but whatever <laughs> Whatever, man. Uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick, uh, I guess you and I, Mike, we've encouraged Fitzy to take a look at his own drinking. And when he did, he didn't like what he saw. He decided it's time for a change. And he's committing to himself to starting his own time of no drinking. He'll start with a month, which he has branded Oct Sober Fitz. Approve of the pun. I'm there for the pun. (laughs) Which which I I love Fitzy. Uh, Fitzy and I went back and forth on Twitter with some some drink suggestions. I love a good mocktail, man. I think mocktails are where it's at. uh, if anybody out there is thinking about uh, taking some time away from drinking, uh, given the the almost year that I've had away from it, I've got tips. Feel free to hit me up. I'm at Round Howard, uh, and and you know, no preaching, no nothing. Yeah. This is not for everybody. Uh, but if you if you wanna if you wanna get some mocktail recipes, or you just wanna talk to a friendly voice, I'm happy to be here for you on that front. 
Um, John Krause, though, had written in. I love John Krause. John Krause, who is probably furious with me for not reading Watership Down fast enough, uh, had, had written in about the, uh, the, the depiction of addiction on Lost and said, in the real world, 2019, telling someone that their addiction is a choice is probably not the best policy practice. I think that Charlie's situation on the island is a bit different. Being that now on the island, as far as he and Locke knows, he's going to run out one way or the other and that Charlie's going to experience horrible, debilitating withdrawals as he detoxes, I think that Locke's uh, gambit is a powerful one. There's a lot of power and autonomy. Being allowed to make your own choice gives you a sense of agency and control over your own life. So in the context of Lost, it's a powerful story yes. uh, that he's able to, to make this choice. In the real world where you're not just stuck on an island and supplies are fully cut off from you, um, you know, it may, may be a little bit of a dicier issue. So, yeah, and I, I would just say, you know, thank you all for writing in as well. And again, thank you, Josh, for sharing your struggles as well. I know, you know, as I mentioned on White Rabbit with my own father dealing with alcoholism very recently, it, it's a subject that I have become all too familiar with. And like you said, these are tough subjects, but I think it just speaks to the universality of law. So again, even 15 years later, these are dealing with themes of humanity that we're still dealing with today and that we're always going to be dealing with. And it affects everybody at a different point in time. And, you know, I'm happy that it's setting certain people like Brendan Fitzpatrick onto, you know, paths of sobriety, uh, at least for the moment. It sets Dave on a path to writing what's going to be a kick-ass song. I'm sure that'll put Drive Shaft to shame, though that's uh, a very low bar to clear. So it's just awesome. I mean, we we have some pretty damn awesome listeners, Josh, and I, I I love how much what we do in one way or another helps impact people in a myriad of ways. Uh, speaking of songs, uh, that takes us to other number three, continuing on the moth path. Uh, everyone, uh, everybody wants some more. Everybody wants another piece. Uh, no, there was a lot of interest in the meat coat of it all. Uh, Fitzy had written on Twitter, uh, in, in the final Charlie and Liam scene, he's talking about how they'll open for a band called meat coat. What? What kind of a band is named meat coat, which launched us into all sorts of fun Twitter shenanigans. John Krause had written and said, in true lost time travel fashion, this is clearly a six-year early reference to Lady Gaga and Lady Gaga's meat coat uh, or her meat dress that she wore to an award show Yeah, it was too hot to wear the meat coat. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Jim Fells writes in and says, I was very surprised you didn't discuss the ridiculous band named Meat Coat. There's a great Easter egg referencing that band in season six. Jim, I don't remember that at all. Um, I guess Ben Martell, he he writes in here uh, that there's a poster in David Shepard's bedroom in the Flash Sideways uh, in Lighthouse. Uh, that says meat coat mm. on it. David Shepard, Jack's imaginary son, uh, could he be connected to the David from this episode? Wow, David's all the way down. I'm in on the David theory. So many Davids. Very, <laughs> you're all a bunch of Davids. Yeah, exactly. No uh, <laughs> Goliaths to be found here on Lost. Uh, let's take a story that never happened on Lost from the series Bible. We're still going through the series Bible stories of the week. This is other number four, uh, and it relates a lot more to uh, the moth than it does to confidence, man. Uh, this is a side story that never made it onto the show from the Bible. When a murder takes place in the camp. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Hell of a start. When the murder takes place in the camp, Locke uses the fear and suspicion of the castaways to start a witch hunt. And what? ultimately, it's it's Charlie who becomes the most likely suspect, a situation that's exacerbated by the onset of Charlie's withdrawal. 
And more importantly, the fact that he himself is unsure as to his innocence or guilt. Ooh, very Kevin Garvey of Charlie. While Locke would like to see Charlie burn at the stake, Kate steps forward as the voice of reason and calls for a fair and unbiased representation of the facts. But civility goes out the door when justice can only be reached by full consensus. Think 12 angry men survivor style. Ultimately, Kate plays defender to Locke's prosecutor in a trial, which is just as much about the outing of Charlie's addiction as it is a presentation of the considerable evidence against him. Mike, if this had happened, worst episode of Lost ever? Yeah, I mean, look, this is a totally different show. So much fun stuff, but this sounds like an absolutely terrible episode of television. (laughs) Completely atonal. Like, I don't want kangaroo court on Lost, and we're getting kangaroo court on Lost in this series Bible episode. Oh my god, it would have been amazing. I I want the predatory jungle cats to take me now if that ended up being an episode of Lost. I don't know why Saeed wouldn't have been one of the lawyers. He's an interrogator. He could have cut to the truth of the matter pretty quickly. Yeah, and I guess maybe this is, I mean, with this storyline, is this still in the post-Jack dies in the pilot? Sounds like he's uninvolved. Yeah, because you would imagine that Jack would be someone who would want to take charge too, right? This is a very different lock from the lock who's just like a very like peaceful drug counselor. Yeah, exactly. More so, he's like, hey, it's your fault. Let's kill you now. Yeah. Also, someone got murdered. Someone got murdered. Who did it? I guess it was Locke. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I think the original ideas for Locke were fairly nefarious, uh, which leads us nicely into other number five. Uh, Dallin Serbo writes in, did the writers know that Locke was the person who had hit Saeed at this point? Because the way that the dialogue is written does sound as if Locke is trying to get away with it. What do you think, Mike? At this point, do you think that they've got the idea that Locke is the person who knocked out Saeed? Yeah, I could see it. Because I think that, again, he's being very unlockian at least from what we know of him in that one scene i'm still confused as to why he does withhold that information you know again it's not in Locke's, you know attitude at least at this point for him to be very cagey does he feel regret for what he did and that's why he lied sight it just doesn't feel very john Locke to throw someone else under the bus to protect yourself well, maybe he just sees how angry Saeed is, and he doesn't want to be on the receiving end of that right now. It's like, I'll tell him later. <laughs> yeah, he'll, and no he'll, one likes he'll definitely be anyway. less angry when I tell him that I yeah. lied to him and set him off against a completely innocent man. Maybe this will all blow over, is what he's thinking. Um, other number six, Saeed. Uh, talking about Saeed, Daniel Brennan writes, What happened to the human lie detector Saeed? Up to this point, we have all marveled at Saeed's ability to see through people and figure things out. However... In this episode, Saeed falls for Locke's alibi and misdirection with regard to Sawyer. Worst of all, he accepts Locke's bullshit story that anyone can figure out how to create a slow fuse based on what we see in pop culture. Excuse me? That's me trying to uh, channel what I imagine to be right, righteous indignation. No, you have, you have to say it like uh, Tobias Funke, that last sentence. Uh, how does you he have to say go, it? Uh, Worst of all, he accepts Locke's bullshit story that anyone can figure out how to create a slow fuse based on what we see in pop culture. Excuse me! That's good. That's better. Or a link from the animated Zelda series that Ah, Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Excuse me, princess. That's that's, that's sort of like a Sawyer attitude he takes with Kate in this episode. Oh man, that was a, that. That's the episode where Luigi gets uh, o- overpowered by like the pizza monster, right? Doesn't I'm sure they go to like that Pizza happen? Land or Musical Land, and then in the other half, some sort of like slimy thing happens to him, and he becomes some sort of like sludge creature. 
Uh, that was a great show. It's sad that that's not that that didn't really take. That'll on. be our next rewatch uh, after Lost. Ah, Super yeah, Mario Brothers Super podcast. Show with Captain yeah. Lou Albano. <laughs> Do the Mario swing your arms. <laughs> um, all right, yeah, I think that uh, yeah, uh, Saeed uh, swinging a miss on this one, but his you can't bat a thousand forever. Uh, and Saeed, so he's gonna have a, a see. Look at me, sportsing. Uh, you know he's gonna have a higher batting average than the average bear, and everybody knows bears play baseball. Well, I was gonna say our um, Sawyer will shoot the bear before he gets up to bat. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> right. well, I think that also Saeed was very emotionally charged. I think he very much let his emotions get in the way this episode, and I think that's what scared him. He wasn't able to take as much objectivity into his analysis, and I think that's why mm. the uh, the thing is on the fritz now. Uh, all right, other number seven, uh, our good friend Sammy Kappa, who is a, a tremendous artist who does great illustrations of Survivor castaways. If you don't follow Sammy on Twitter, you really ought She's to. She's awesome. Uh, and Instagram as well. She's great. She's been watching Lost uh, because her partner in crime is a big Lost fan and has been watching Lost and has been listening to the podcast. I think this is her first time through. Uh, and so she, she had a great comment where she said, wait, did Confidence Man make me like Sawyer? Sawyer sure does suck. But then the show is like, oh, well, here is why he sucks and i'm like sad face oh okay fine i get it uh i think that that's the that's the magic of lost sammy Uh, that's what you're experiencing i love for the first time i love watching her first reaction it's so much fun it's so much fun to show people this show for the first time we've heard about people showing the show to their kids or to their various partners and have them pick up on all these little twists and turns Uh, this is just such a fun show to revisit for so many reasons and maybe one day down the line, Josh, maybe our pie-in-the-sky achievement will be if the great Sammy Kappa will make a, a portrait of the two of us doing some Lostian things for Down the Hatch. Oh, my gosh. That'd be great. That'd be fantastic. Uh, incept the idea. See what comes of it. Uh, other number eight. Eric Divestein writes in, Did Sawyer leave behind his own money when he abandoned his con and fled the scene? What do you think came of the loan shark who was after him? Yeah, what happened with Kilo? I don't know. I feel like Kilo... Uh, now I kind of fear for David and Jessica because I wonder if Kilo, like straight up out of Breaking Bad, came to them and like straight up slaughtered them and t- took his money back. Yeah, no, he tried. He came to the house to slaughter them, uh, but then the alien kid used his telekinetic abilities and eviscerated Kilo like something out of mm, loop. And then they had to go into hiding as a result, and they went to witness protection. Though the guy still went by David, and then he found himself outside yeah. a mental institution. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah. No, I do think it was a bad move on Sawyer's part. I think, like, abandon the con is one thing, but take the money. Don't leave the money. You need that money. Well, I wonder if it's because he knew that he was screwed with Kilo because he didn't get that 50% and he wasn't getting that $20,000 back from the hair mousse he used to slick back his hair. Maybe he was (laughs) just like, all right, I'm not going to drop all the money because I'll get my ass beat. I just need to get up and run. I mean, I think that's, again, a connection that him and Kate have in common is they both have the ability to just completely unroot themselves and move on to something else. And it seems like Sawyer was doing it in that moment for a very similar reason as Kate of like, he felt too emotionally connected to what was going on and didn't want to damn them with their presence. All right. Other number eight, uh, sorry, other number nine, uh, Jordan from Wisconsin writes in, why doesn't anyone like Boone or Jack or Kate just do the thing that any normal person would do? Ask Sawyer, do you have the inhalers? Yeah, everybody kind of just assumes that he has the inhalers. Like, this is all just, like, big misunderstanding. If any of them were like, hey, Sawyer, so, um, you don't happen to have any inhalers, do you? Yeah, but then they do ask him, and he's like, I don't know. So it's like... Yeah, but that's because they've, they've escalated things. No, they dude, sure, I, I would not be surprised if that was the first answer you'd ask Sawyer if you asked him carpentry. Maybe Boone did ask him, and Sawyer replied with a big old clang to the face. 
Yeah, what if, like, Boone... Well, no, because Sawyer, uh, when he hears it from Kate about the inhalers, he seems, like, genuinely surprised, right? Mm -hmm. So I get the sense that, like, when Sawyer sprung upon Boone, Boone didn't say, yeah, I'm rifling through your stuff because I assume that you've got my inhalers because you've got my luggage. I feel like all of this could have been avoided if Boone had just, like, come up to Sawyer and be like, hey, my sister's having an asthma attack. You've been reading one of my books. Do you have my luggage because my luggage contains inhalers, and is it possible that I could, like, check? And maybe Sawyer, who, like had rushed off into the ocean to pull a man off of another man and prevent him from killing the guy in an episode or two earlier. Maybe that guy would have been like, yeah, you could check. I don't think I've got him. But that, you know, but that's not our boon. I guess. I guess not. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Boone. Let's talk Shannon. Uh, other number 10 down, Cervo. Why didn't the island heal Shannon's asthma? It healed Locke's <laughs> paralysis. It healed Rose's cancer. It healed Jin's infertility. But not Shannon's asthma? Why? Um, technically, the island did heal Shannon's asthma by killing her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't need to breathe anymore. Yeah. Breathing's uncool. Yeah. Lambo. And we're the lamest place of all. I, I think that maybe to Locke's logic, she did not offer something to the island. She's been very materialistic, taking advantage of the island. As a result, the island's like, fine. You live with your asthma. Yeah. For a yeah. little while longer. Um, until you don't live at all. Um... Other number 11, uh, let's talk more about Boone and Shannon from Ben Martell. The Boone and Shannon asthma plotline was originally written for two previously unknown background characters. Given that the last we had seen of Boone had him labeled by Sawyer as the most hated on the island, was this the start of some kind of intentional change in Boone's character arc? Do you think that that explains why they had this subplot in the episode, that they needed to find a way to get the audience back on board with Boone. Yeah, so this is really interesting. I had no idea before rewatching this episode that apparently this storyline was supposed to introduce two new characters, Richard, a man in his 50s, and his quote-unquote pretty wife, Mary Beth. So I'm sad we were never introduced <laughs> to the exploits of Richard and Mary Beth. Maybe they need to be characters in... Uh, Rich, yeah. Rich, our Philly, take note. They're going to add them to, uh, to the Billy and uh, Roddy crew. But I think that... I honestly could just see it as a thing of like, hey, let's not add more characters. Let's just give it to Boone and Shannon. And maybe it's because Boone and Shannon didn't, haven't really had a lot to do in the past few episodes. They thought they wanted to spread the wealth a little bit because they are still part of the main cast. They just haven't had as much to do as some of the other characters. So, yeah, I, I think it just would be too confusing. There's a reason why Scott, Steve, and Neil are in the background for such a long time and only gain meme status because of that. I think adding two other random characters into it and then just making them disappear into the jungle after that, assumingly, is, is a weird tactic. All right, let's get to the next other. This is from Fitzy. Uh, can you guys explain Jin's initial reaction slash resistance to Sun helping Shannon? It's never sat well with me. I know he's still in super defensive mode with her, especially after the handcuff incident, but why would he not want his wife to help someone in need if she can? If she can. <laughs> um, Interesting. And yeah, speaking of other mentors on the island, I wonder how Rob would have talked Charlie through his withdrawal, maybe made it a test, a choice, if you will. Uh, yeah, I think that it's interesting. I did not read that look as him being like disapproving. I had a, a look of him almost being like admiring of Sun, of him sort of giving this look of like, wow, I was wrong. I should not have blocked you from doing this because you saved somebody's life. Maybe it's the gin apologist in me, but that's how I saw the look that he gave them near the end of that whole storyline. I did not give it as a look of him being like, why did she do this? She should not have helped her. Yeah, and I guess technically we don't know what they said. 
Yeah, that's very true. Unless I, I know somebody translated. Although the- you should, Mike. I know that you speak Korean. Uh, I so. do, but I have to uh, really get that bass harp in my voice from the Sawyer music to Got do it. that. Got it. Uh, yeah, you don't yeah, have yeah. that uh, handy right now. Yeah, but I th- I think that I don't know. I, maybe people are able to translate the Korean like they did with the pilot uh, into that scene. I would love to find out what Jin and Sun were saying back and forth to each other. And again, I still feel like the look that Daniel Day Kim gave was more so like, uh, okay, you know, maybe she's a new woman now. She's wearing uh, sleeveless tops and she's helping people with eucalyptus leaves. Maybe I should let Sun be Sun for a bit. Let the sun come out. All right. Other number 13. And uh, we, we love hearing from our audience and the stories that you all have of how you encountered Lost and who you watched Lost with and who you're still watching Lost with and um, who you're not watching Lost with anymore because time has moved on and, and people have 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 moved on and uh, your lives have changed. And this experience has been helping you look back on some of that stuff. I think it's all it's all really meaningful. And this mm-hmm. is this is a, a great story in that realm from from Cassie, who wrote it and said, I wanted to share with you my personal connection with Lost and what the show means to me. My dad, my older brother, and I have a bond over discussing great television and movies. My brother, Kevin Weissman, is an actor and was a regular on the TV show Alias for five years. Cassie, that's cool. Wow. Uh, he played Marshall Flankman on Alias, and Marshall is a remarkably great character. I actually interviewed Kevin once. Uh, he's on Runaways, or I-, I haven't kept up with Runaways, so I don't know if he's still on there. Um, but he's a great actor. He was uh, tremendous on Alias. If you guys, When we get to the Alias rewatch, yeah. everybody. Oh, that's so awesome. Uh, we might have to have, uh, we'll have Kevin as sort of like our third wheel giving all the behind-the-scenes coverage. <laughs> oh, listen, if that's a possibility, that would be super fun. Uh, but Cassie continues and says, I remember back in May 2004, right after my 15th birthday, I was at my brother's house with my dad, and he let us know that he had a DVD copy of this show that J.J. Abrams was creating that will be debuting in the fall. I was so excited to watch as I thought it might be a dramatized version of my favorite reality show, Survivor. The three of us got to watch the entire two-hour premiere together, and we were also in love with it and could not wait to watch it in the fall. The three of us spent years always calling, texting, sending Facebook messages as the show aired week to week, coming up with new theories and what every little detail on the show could mean. My father was diagnosed with lung cancer in May 2007 and passed away in May 2009, a few days before my 20th birthday and the season five finale of Lost. I eventually watched the season five finale and Kevin and I did watch season six together, but I definitely did not have the same energy and love for it like I did when we were able to discuss the show with our father. I'm so happy to be rewatching the show again week to week and listening to both of you talk. It reminds me of the conversations my brother and I had with our dad way back when we first started watching. Thank you. You and can't wait till the next podcast cassie thank, thank you. you that's that's an, a really amazing story and if we're we're helping you recapture some of that love and helping you uh feel closer to your dad and everything like that um that that means the world to us. absolutely it's an I, amazing feeling for us very very belated you know apologies for or, or you know uh remorse for your loss and like josh said i think anything that can bring us back to those times where you know the people that we watch with it's an odd, it's odd, but I feel like usually the people that you watch Lost with specifically are like the people you have some of the closest connections to. Just considering how much of a, an emotionally connective show it was between all the theorizing, all the characterizations, all those moments that made us cry and laugh, that revisiting those moments, especially I can imagine with someone who unfortunately is no longer with us, must be so uplifting and so reminding at the same time. Thank you so much for the kind words, Cassie. And again, thank you all so much for just listening to be quite honest, Josh and I are such big Lost nerds that we'll always spend two plus hours talking about the show, but it has meant the absolute world to both of us to hear 
so many people so excited to revisit these episodes as well and to bring them back to the time, you know, when they were watching it with the people they were watching it with. Uh, other number 14 is from Patricia Riley. And Patricia has introduced a new ranking into the mix, Mike. Oh, boy. Uh, it's the rankings of my impressions so far uh, on the Down the Hatch. I didn't realize I was uh, doing any impressions that were worth ranking. And perhaps I'm not <laughs> given the ranking. Uh <laughs> I guess the ranking goes, I'll go in reverse order. In fifth place is Sawyer. I didn't realize I do a Sawyer. Yeah, like half of these I didn't Uh, realize you did. (laughs) Yeah, in fourth place is a lock. I didn't realize I did a lock. In third place is Jack. uh, We're all going to die alone, which I think is my best. Yeah, I'd say in terms of pure airtime, I think Jack is number one with a bullet through Sawyer's shoulder. Uh, Number two is Charlie the Bloody Rock God, uh, which I don't think is is really much more than me like screaming with like a slight... uh, Londonish accent that's probably making all of our UK listeners just like shake their heads and reach for the peanut butter. And then number one, uh, after several ellipses to distance the the top tier from the rest, because I guess my top tier impression is the best is my Saeedra. I really like talking in Saeed voice. I don't know if I'm doing a good job, but it's definitely my favorite. I love it. You've convinced me to start talking in Saeed voice. And look, uh, it only makes sense that he's in a solitary position at the top of these rankings. I can't wait to get to solitary next week. That's going to be so fun. Um, all right. Other 15. Final other of the week. Just a roundup. Uh, Dallin Servo writes in, our dude count from Hurley. We've got two more to the list. There's 21 dudes Ooh. at this point. Uh, there was a very funny tweet from Austin Smith this week that we lightly referenced earlier uh, in the podcast uh, with the meme of the, like, uh, I don't know what the origin of the meme it's, is. It's from a... Uh, it's it's from some sort of anime, I believe. Where, yeah, it's an, where a guy is um gesturing a, to a butterfly and he says, "Is this a bird?" Yeah, and like the the meme is like uh, the guy is whoever the the butterfly is the thing that they're you know talking about, and then at the bottom at the hand is like the ridiculous thing that makes the whole thing sound ridiculous. So Josh and Mike are the guy. The butterfly is literally any creature, and the hand gesture is us asking, is this the smoke monster? Uh, That really is just going to be the way of it here on Down the Hatch, and I think especially appropriate that uh, after we were talking about the moth, that it is a four-winged creature, uh, a moth-like creature. That is uh, that is at the center of this. Yeah, meme. and I think if you look really closely in that GIF or meme, you could see a little wisp of smoke coming out of that butterfly. Just saying, we might want to look touch. into that. Just a touch. Uh, Amy LaRue made a, a Wiggler's Wombat Slut shirt <laughs> instead of the Music Slut shirt. Uh, my only issue with it is that there's two Gs in the Wiggler Wombat Slut. It's just one G. I know it's very tempting to think no, it's like but, Wiggle, so there's but two But what Gs. this is, is this is like the off-brand, like when Sawyer makes his, it's the when he makes his black market uh, goods, yes. he decides to be like, all right, everyone loves Wiggler's Wombats, but if I put two Gs in it, it's not copyright infringement. Yeah. Uh, Patricia Riley also has updated Sawyer's nickname chart uh, as of September 30th, 2019. So follow Patricia if you want to see those updates at RileyTrisha1 on Twitter. Yeah, I'm looking now. It looks like we get three instances of Freckles and two of Doc in this episode alone. 
Double Doc. Cool. Um, all right. 23 points. This is where we award points out for the MVPs and the LVPs of the episode. I'm no longer going to run down the full lists here on the podcast. They are in your show notes. Uh, so you will be able to see where everybody stands if you just look into your show notes or on postshowrecaps.com. This week, Mike, I'm giving out two MVP points and you're going to give out three MVP points. Uh, then you will give out two LVP points and I will give out three LVP points. So who's getting the first MVP point this week? You know what? Let's stay consistent. This guy got the first MVP point last week, and gosh darn it, I just love that peanut butter storyline. I'm going to give it to Charlie. I'm loving post-recovery Charlie so far, and the fact that we finally get to see him begin this cute man's with Claire just makes me so, so happy. And I thought what he was able to do in terms of the gesture and really for her own safety, getting her off the beach and into the caves was just, it was, it was very charitable of him. So I'm glad that in his withdrawal state, he's not only doing better health wise, but also mentally wise as well. Uh, my first one's going to go to Kate, uh, who's still on a tear here. Kate, uh, had to endure so much bullshit in order to get to the bottom of the inhaler thing. She didn't even have to stab anyone. Uh, so, of course, Kate gets an MVP point. I'm going to give an MVP point to Boone. Now, look, I know. Whoa. I know. I know. I, I <laughs> okay. did not think that we were allowed to do that on this podcast, but evidently we can. Look, I know that there maybe maybe if he had said something when, you know, he was Sawyer found him looking through his stuff. Uh, this things wouldn't have happened the way they did with reeds going underneath fingernails and such. But I think Boone being so protective of Shannon to the point where he's going to get his ass whooped for her. I think it's admirable. And also, you know, even though he does try to have his big hero moment and be like, Oh, I got to go, you know, uh, accost Sawyer with those guys. When Shannon tells him to stay, he does indeed stay. I think he was being a very good stepbrother this episode. And I, I feel like that inter- okay. deserves some commendation. Uh, my second MVP point will go to Sun. The eucalyptus paste, A plus, A plus stuff. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Sun, way to go. Yeah, she also gets the award for tip you would pick up from watching TV that you can use in real life, like John Locke. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm st- I still don't understand what Locke was. Uh... <laughs> the cigarette thing still doesn't really make much uh, sense to uh, me. Uh, All right. One final MVP. What do you got? This is tough. Like, I wish I could split off the actor from the character because I would give an MVP point to Josh Holloway. But I guess it's going to be Sawyer part and parcel because, again, say what you want to about the actions of Sawyer this episode. But I feel like Josh Holloway, like he says in that first episode, to your point, Josh, he's a complicated man. And I feel like we finally see the complications of Sawyer's performance in Josh Holloway. I mean, I just love he still has that smarminess, but there's that one moment in the flashback when he's looking at the alien kid and you see those tears in his eyes, and, and you see the way he reacts to the letter and the way he depicts his story, how his voice, which is usually a bit higher pitch compared to Josh Holloway's speaking voice, just gets lower and more weighty and grumblier that really shows how you know hardened he is by this experience. And so I think Josh Holloway does a fantastic job this episode. I cannot wait to see his character grow more if only to showcase more of his talent. So I guess by that mark, I'm going to give Sawyer an MVP point here. Wow, his first one. Um, and I'm going to take it away immediately because oh, I'm going to give him an L- LVP It all point. balances out. <laughs> uh, 
Well, look, I, I think um, I think Josh Holloway is tremendous. And I think, again, we've said this before, Sawyer ultimately is not only going to be in the clear by the end of Lost. I think he's going to be really high up there. There's a lot of great Sawyer moments to come in Lost. I think, in fact, as soon as next week, lawyer, uh, Sawyer may find himself with another MVP point. Um I, he's just—he's such an asshole in this episode. Mm. Like he get—he lets things go so far, and all he has to say is like, "I don't have the inhalers. Everybody, just leave me alone. I don't have them. You can go search through my stuff," which probably he wouldn't want to do because then they would find other things. But like, he's just such a jerk to all of these people. And then he's conning a family out of their their things, busting up a home. Uh, so it's it's hard for me to. It's hard for me to feel too great about him. Um, mm. And if it was just on performance alone, I would completely co-sign it. But for the, the character aspect of it, uh, got to take a point away. Yeah, absolutely. Plus the fact that, yes, he does end up walking out on the con. But as we talked about, was it too late? And the fact that he ends up ditching the con, does that make him a bad con man in that moment? So, yeah, it's a weird mixed bag where I feel like the character of Sawyer, we find out so much about that he might get an MVP point. We're usually giving MVP points, at least one to the person the flashback is about. But the actual actions of the character in this episode outweigh the good stuff that we see from this character. Yeah. Um, all right. Who gets your first LVP point? I'm going to give it to Locke here. Uh, again, we're not sure why he's doing this, where he's coming from, or what he's watching on TV. But the fact of the matter is, it's very different from the John Locke we saw in the first seven episodes. So he, he's got to take a minus here. I, you know, John Locke's my favorite character, and I cannot disagree. Um, I'm going to give an LVP point. Nobody dies in this episode, but people do get conned. So that's the closest thing to it. Uh, so the full alien family, uh, J- Jessica, David, and the alien child as a, as a family unit, uh, you, uh, you all lose. A yeah. Point. Their, their your, dreams your, died, I guess, if that counts. Your dreams died. So it's a, the, your family died on this day. So, uh, just in the, the spirit of continuing to, to shame the people who are disenfranchised by other people and lost. Uh, either with their their lives being taken away or their livelihoods, uh, the tradition continues here. Well, on that note, I'm going to go a bit outside the box, outside the magic box on this one. He was only mentioned, not seen. The connection's not going to be there for a while. But I'm going to give an LVP point to Sawyer Prime, to the OG Sawyer that caused this letter to be written, which is, spoiler alert, Sammy Kappa, you might want to skip ahead if you don't want to know this, Anthony Cooper... Locke's father you know what I have this theory that by the end of the series I sort of I feel like we're going to be creating like a Mount LVP more of how there are several characters on Lost who are going to Mount Widmore yeah, it could be Mount Widmore where it's going to be like Randy Nations we're going to put Liam up there I feel like Anthony Cooper is definitely going to get up there considering all the shenanigans he gets involved into with multiple parties do we only have four heads to put up there that's gonna be hard now, man that's listen, competitive four toes four heads that's the way that things work here on down the hatch wow or we could do like one head for each four toes. I don't know. It doesn't make <laughs> Yeah, sense. let's not have heads on toes here. Then we're just really fussing with anatomy. Wanna... Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to, yeah. again, even though he's not outright mentioned in this episode, I feel like considering how he basically made Sawyer who he is today, uh, I got to give a point of uh, demerit to Anthony Cooper here. And I, my my favorite voice to do on the podcast, one of my favorite characters on Lost, and yet I got to take a point away from Saeed Jarrah. Uh, the the human lie detector was broken this week. Uh, he goes off on Sawyer in a way that makes him so upset 
that he has to leave the beach. He also buys Locke's bullshit way too easily. Uh, so Saeed just fully off his game, gets Doc to point. I think that he's going to make it up and then some in solitary. So I'm not that concerned in the long haul. Um, in ways that this meaningfully impacts the 23 points as they stand, again, reference your show notes. Uh, but... Kate, who's been at the lead for the vast majority of this, is now in the lead by a decent amount. Mm. She's got six points at the top, uh, and with Locke getting docked a point, uh, she's got a three-point lead over Locke, who is tied with Jack and Son at three apiece behind Kate, and Saeed is behind that tier, tied with the Smoke Monster at two. Wow. Those are the top contenders on the 23-point getters right now. Well, I guess maybe she is most deserving, then, to take a lawyer position to defend Charlie against murder accusations. Uh, And Sawyer is bringing up the rear, as he did at the start of this episode, uh, with, uh, with negative four. He is at the very bottom of the rankings right now. But that's just like a screen time thing. There's so much Sawyer, so there's so many opportunities for early Sawyer to really be screwing it all up. Um... All right, 4.2 stars time, episode rankings. You good? Yeah, you ready? let's do it. All right, so uh, this, is, this is what we're looking at this week. Uh, 4.2 stars, of course, for those who do not recall. This is how we are ranking the episodes of Lost. I'm going to give a score from 0 to 4.2 to the episode. Mike is going to do the same. You, the listener, right into us, down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com with your score of the episodes from a scale of 0 to 4.2. We will take the audience average as our third data point. We will combine that with my score, with Mike's score, the audience score for our final average score, and that will be what helps determine the rankings of the episodes. You can rank season one as long as we are talking about season one. It is a flexible document as it currently stands. Uh, With all of that said, Mike, I'm going to give Confidence Man the same rating that I gave House of the Rising Sun. I think it's a fairly comparable episode quality-wise going to give it a 3.6. I have Confidence Man really high on my Hollywood Reporter mm. Lost rankings. Um, I think maybe a little too high on my Hollywood Reporter rankings uh, after this rewatch. I, th- I still think it's a great episode, um, but it doesn't quite hit that elite stratosphere that I think maybe you should if you're, if you're I have it in the 30s uh, on my rankings. And I think when at, at that point already, you got to be talking about God tier Lost episodes. Yeah, well, Josh, I think you conned me into giving you the same score, putting uh, our scores in together to a big venture down in New Orleans. I can't wait to get that money back. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to give it a 3.6 as well, which is down from my own personal rating of House of the Rising Sun, which is 3.8. Like I said, I wasn't too into this episode for the first little chunk of it. There's a lot of really captivating stuff later on, particularly the torture scene, I feel like, is really heightened. And of course, the Sawyer reveal is just a great fleshing out of the character and also really well done on Josh Holloway's part, both in flashback form and island form. So I feel like it's a it's a suitable spot for it our listeners were actually more down on it at the moment than we were uh they averaged out a 3.2 rating for confidence man so in terms of uh, all the rankings and their averages right now uh number seven is the moth last week's episode at 3.03 next up is tabula rasa at 3.40 edging out right above that is confidence man with an average of 3.46 though again that'll change depending on we usually get much like we get some cleanup from the previous episode in our other segment we get a lot of people submitting their episode ratings as well after the fact which are we're totally cool with as josh said house of the rising sun is above that at 3.61 white rabbit at 3.98 barely looking at the edge of a four almost careening off the cliff 
Pilot at a 4.13, and of course, Walkabout at 4.16. So Confidence Man in the bottom half of our episodes at the moment, but, you know, still almost a 3.5 on average. Yeah, I I'm, I guess I'm like, a, I'm kind of taken aback at the fact that it's rated lower than House of the Rising Sun, um, just in terms of like my traditional thinking of Lost. But in watching both of these episodes, you know, relatively recently upon each other, um, I don't think it's wrong. I, I actually am I'm pretty good with where we're at right yeah. now. I think it's the correct order as it's. I agree. I think that we've got, you know, a pretty good set of episodes. And like you said, I'm so excited to get into Solitary. We get some Saeed in, you know, uh, Iraqi garb. We have the introduction of Danielle Rousseau. We have Island oh, Golf, yeah. Josh. I know. I can't wait for Island Golf. Uh, it's such a tragedy that Island Golf only appears in one episode. Seriously. I think that, well, there's a little bit of Island Golf elsewhere, uh, but never quite the way that it exists uh, in this next episode. I think Solitary is going to be really fun. Ben Martell has warned me that we should brace ourselves for a very long podcast for Solitary. I feel like that's fine. Uh, we're coming in at less than two and a half hours on this we, podcast. We, a Christmas. Yeah, miracle. we've been bracing for the past couple months, but we appreciate the warning, Ben. And I, I'm very excited. There's a lot of Saeed stuff to get into. And again, a lot of mythos brought out uh, about the island stuff. So, I mean, season one just keeps on chugging along. I can't believe we're like a third of the way through season one, Josh. Yeah, man. And that means that we are uh, something the, the way through the full thing. I can't do math right now. Uh, Solitary is coming your way. Either way, it's going to drop in your feeds on October 11th. Get your feedback in the morning of October 8th at the latest. Uh, ideally, the evening of October 7th would be even better. You can get your feedback in by emailing us down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com, at postshowrecaps on Twitter, at Round Howard on Twitter, at a Mike Bloom type on Twitter. Send us your 4.2 stars, your everything. We want to see everything coming our way. Your Lindelofs, we still want more of those. Uh, we got one uh, piece of feedback asking how to submit the Lindelofs. Just email down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. If you have to send like a Google Drive link or a Dropbox link, if the file is too big, that's totally fine. That totally works. Send it to us down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. We've got a Wombat Station logo designed and ready. We've got a hat that we want to make for a Lindelof winner. We just don't have the uh, the proper amount of submissions at this point. Speaking of uh, of song parody competitions, the, the Wandoff is back in session as the Wiggle Room is open for business on Rob Has a Podcast. I know, Mike, the uh, the Survivor B&B also open for business at Reality TV Rehap-Ups. Uh, there's so much going on on Post Show Recaps right now. Mr. Robot podcast coverage has resumed. The season premiere is October 6th. Antonio Mazzaro and I are going to have full coverage of that. Jessica Lease and I are also talking about The Walking Dead Season 10, which also premieres October 6th. We will have our podcast on that coming your way next week uh you want to get your feedback in for both of those shows mr robot mr robot at postshowrecaps.com uh also you can send twd at postshowrecaps.com for that uh we also have our succession podcast that is getting very close to the end of the line dom abadi uh the cleat the, the the normally shaven dominic abadi <laughs> is uh it was on the succession podcast this week mike uh i will not tell him that uh i thought that uh the guy who you were saying he looked like looked like a dweeb uh so yeah, none like, of you guys go snitching sh- on me either out of the conversation <laughs> 
I could explain it to him. If any, but if any of you snitch, I'm gonna not feel great about it. To be completely, yeah. Honest. You, you don't, you don't uh, Mike. What else? You is don't going know what on? Josh is gonna do with you if you snitch on him. But yeah, like you said, I mean, uh, our secrets came out this week. You know, people finally got to see the first episode of Survivor 39, which you and I were out on set for several months ago. Had our own island adventures, and now that we've been able to sort of pontificate on it on our uh, various respective podcasts. Check that out. Uh, I loved getting to reflect back on that. It really made me flash back to a, a great time that we had half a year ago as well. And I, I can't wait to see where we move forward from there and with our other on-island adventures on this podcast as we map right. the podcast and wander the yes. shores. Unbelievable. Okay, subscribe to Down the Hatch if you have not done so already. Postshowrecaps.com slash Down the Hatch. You can find us on your podcast app of choice if you do not listen to us on Apple. Either way, your ratings and reviews so greatly appreciated as we are still hoping to bring more people to the island. So please do not forget to leave those ratings and reviews. Anything else, Mike? No, I'm ready to... uh Go to sleep and get waken up by uh, a very nice man with a very solid steel fist. All right. We're punching you out. We will be back with Solitary next week. Take care, everybody. Bye. Four, eight, 15, 16, 20, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 